0: Dr. if you want to check your um, DMs, I just sent requests for a speaker and co-host. Everyone bear with us as we get this set up. Um, Andrew, I sent you an invite to speak as well. Let me know if y'all got it. My profile is definitely glitching out today. So Terrible sent me a screenshot of um, the tweet I shared about Dr. Malone, and it said it was unavailable and no one could see it. And she said, your, your account's now being suppressed as well. So she recommended that we um, start a space, and she's going to be joining us too, so we can discuss it. There we go. Y'all both on stage
1: my twitter started glitching his way uh, this evening as well and i've i've had this is robert i've had other people reporting the
2: same
3: i'm um, wondering
2: when... there's a lot there's a lot of mechanics that we still haven't unwound with what they're doing but under the covers so it's probably going to be more to discover
0: yeah I'm not exactly sure what's going on but i I keep people keep sending me screenshots saying that some of my tweets are completely unavailable but um so you think it was a, a bot attack for the um diamond tweet that you sent earlier or was it
4: I know that we had a an amazing flood of bots um and they had the usual characteristics of having. Uh, very few, if any, followers and being recently created. Um, and they were, they were just amazingly ugly. Uh, um, they've kind of died down from the really ugly racist stuff to, uh, um, more just usual hate, assuming that she died of COVID, which I don't believe that's the case. I think it's cancer. It was a long term disease. Uh, but um it's it's uh, a lot of um uh jab uh you know vaccine related uh hate coming at that particular tweet
0: and she wasn't vaccinated right
4: that's my understanding it's not something i asked her but that would be consistent with her her position And of course, she was a huge Trump supporter.
0: Right. And he was a big mRNA supporter there for a while, too. So it would make sense, I think, if she was. But then I heard that her stance was that she was not. So, you know, people getting cancer and passing away is tragic. It doesn't always, it's not always related to the vaccine. But I've seen that people come out strongly with opinions on this and and just say the most awful things. I just wonder where um these people or are bots are coming from to take such a awful vi- stance with such vitriol
4: Yeah, good question um are they uh related to um the the sponsors of the
1: product or uh, government or who knows what? Robert, what time or when did you start to experience the bot attack, and when did it end?
4: Um, it's still ongoing, but to a much lesser extent. Uh, I was podcasting, and my wife noticed it. She got really upset because the nature of the tweets were so ugly. Um, so that would be looks like she posted it at seven this morning, but I think the the ugly attacks started. More around noon-ish, I suspect. I, I, like I say, I wasn't monitoring because I was busy broadcasting.
0: So I was wondering, because your article that you wrote on Substack about the CCP, I was wondering if there was some insight about you about to drop that, and so they wanted to censor your account.
4: That, that's very, very unlikely. Um, I didn't write that one. Uh, it came to me from a former CIA officer. Uh, as you can see from how I've listed it, although I don't mention that's her background, um, uh, I, I would, uh, um, and and furthermore, if they were going to attack relating to that, um, why would they have gone after um, this particular tweet uh, that is just expressing sympathy for her death?
0: I feel
4: like and none of they, the others, they probably
0: jumped on that one because the other one wasn't wasn't out yet if they had there was some way of knowing that you were going to share that story but
4: <laughs> uh i i really don't and we get a lot of submissions for uh um a substack publication since the substack gets such wide readership um we have many people submitting stuff to us and i think she submitted that uh yesterday so I just don't see a connection unless uh Twitter versus you know uh corporate um, sees sees some pattern. Uh, I don't have any evidence of that. Another thing that happened around the same time I mean twitter Twitter uh apparently for some reason uh terminated or blocked the account, and I had to reactivate it um, by giving uh, a code. Uh, uh, it was a block for unusual activity. And then after the block was lifted, uh, there was zero followers listed, but of course, eight, over 890,000, I'm sorry, over 890,000 followers, but it listed none, no following. Um, yet what if I clicked on the following, uh, um, uh, link, then it would show all the, all those that I'm following. So there was some odd glitches that occurred concurrent with that. Whether or not that's associated or not, I have no idea. Yeah,
0: so on our side, when we looked at who you were following, it, it said you were following zero people, even though at the top of your profile it still said a Dr. Malone follows you. But it said zero, and then it said you were following zero people. So it was very bizarre, but I've seen this before um attorney robert barnes his account does this all the time it'll say he's, he follows zero people when really he follows around 4000 and it w- it goes back and forth up and down and i asked him about this um last year i said Have, i said what's going on something's wrong with your account and he said i tried to sue twitter and i lost and they still f with me <laughs> so i thought that was a funny funny response to Uh, to that but it still happens on his account to this day if you go and look at his profile it'll say that he follows zero people it might say that he follows like four thousand but if you go back and refresh it several times it it goes back to zero and so it's something showing that they're definitely suppressing his his reach
4: well that was that was one of the hypotheses is was this unusual activity reflective i mean it's i think we got to be Cautious about getting paranoid, but the question being was this reflective of uh, a uh, employee act action in some way? I'm choosing my words.
0: Bad actors that are still there. <laughs> I think that's-
4: that. That's one hypothesis
0: that and old algorithms still at play. I know that there are still some old algorithms. I think it'll probably take a long time before those get resolved. But Sphinx might have some good insight on this. Sphinx, did you want to say
5: something? Hi, good evening. Hi, first of all, Dr. Malone, hi. I'm the one whose Secretary Mary has been going back and forth with to schedule um, our um, interview. But um, what I wanted to say regarding Um, this incident is typically when we see this kind of thing happen where um, you see the zero followers or sometimes you see zero followers and zero following, okay, and then you get a message about, you know, there was suspicious activity. A lot of times it's somebody trying to hack your account, Um, who that is. Who knows, right? But that, that does happen when individuals try to hack into someone's Twitter account. And what Twitter Twitter will do is they don't do, do a full suspension, of course, but they will sort of like freeze it. And what you need to do in that situation is you need to, um, log in and there's a way of doing this. I meant to email, I meant to email you today, but I I didn't get around to it. But you need to log in and you need to log out out of all of your devices, every single one, and then you need to reset your password, then re-log in, because that that will take care of that problem, and within 48 hours, you should have your account back to normal, but that is typically due to someone trying to hack into your account, putting in wrong passwords, trying again and again, that sort of thing from an IP address (coughs) that Twitter doesn't recognize as belonging to you.
6: Well, thanks
1: for that input. And when I went through that, uh, and I traced my my attacking back to the Defense Intelligence Agency, I just simply had to put multi factor authentication on, and then I tried I tried both in band and out of band, meaning using a telephone number versus using an authenticating app. And if you use the authenticating app on the same device, it's actually easier for them to crack than the out of band. So I'd recommend doing that if you haven't. <coughs> Thank
2: you. I just, I just want to add, I think with the level of detail that have been coming out of the Twitter files so far in terms of the mechanics of how the actual underlying, you know, whether it's censorship or an automatic, you know, block of the account, I mean, maybe this is something that someone could bring to Musk and sort of ask for clarification on if he's kind of gone down that rabbit hole yet, how they're, you know, automatically moderating stuff. Cause I think that's going to happen to a lot of people in the future if there's, you know any kind of anonymity crackdown whether you're using a vpn or something like that and it'll lock your account out because it thinks it's suspicious activity and they can't kind of trace you know who or what you are um i think that's a huge part of it and so there's gonna what we've seen so far in twitter files right like we've seen that there's these different departments that have different tools to do different forms of censorship whether it's deamplification of accounts you know, account wide or certain posts or whether you had less than 3000 followers or more, there were different systems that were applied. This could be something like that. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities for, you know, the different underlying mechanics that, and tools that are at play behind the scenes. It seems like some of them are getting shut off because I'm allowed to talk on here, which is cool.
4: Okay. So complex battlefield is what I'm hearing.
2: Fairly. Yeah.
4: And I heard DIA uh, monkey business, um, is uh, ongoing is that is that clear or that's verified?
1: My my so my my interaction with the DIA stopped in October. since then, I haven't been hacked thankfully, so it that that had went on for about six months, but it stopped. so who who knows who's doing these things now? The interesting thing is I do have a number of journalists uh, dming me right now saying that they had tweets deleted between myself and other scientists over the last two days. Interesting. Um,
4: okay. So this is all above my pay grade in terms of Twitter mechanics.
0: Well, I, I know I might get you in trouble because uh, Dr. Lindley said that you were going to be at a meeting with her at, at eight. And I was like, well, he probably will just pop in real quick and come talk to us so we can not hold him hostage. <laughs> Um. Okay, well, Sphinx, did you say you're going to touch base with Dr. Malone about the interview that you were going
5: to? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you, I'll um, have Mary send you a follow up again, just to touch base. I know you're super busy.
4: Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I do podcasts. Um, the other day I went from 530 in the morning until 10 p.m. And I'm actually off of one right now that I should be on. Um, I, I am so slammed, and then I travel a lot, so it's nothing personal. Oh, um, I, I know please. it's
5: not. I get it. Believe me, <laughs> I get it.
4: Please, please just be patient and persistent. Um, the official uh, channel uh, for my wife for booking is the info at rwmalonemd.com.
0: I can send it to you, Sphinx, too. Um, I,
5: I don't know the one that y- you sent me, Dr. Malone. I've been, I think maybe it's that one, but okay. But anyway, it doesn't matter. There's no rush, and I know that, that you're busy. I've been seeing you around in spaces, and it's all good. But if you do need that um, instructions for to handle that Twitter thing, um, it is important. So if you log into your Twitter from your desktop, for instance, okay, you can't just change your password on your phone you've got to log out from all devices so if you need instruction on that i'm, I'm happy to send that to you
4: okay so log off of all because because it's the the hold was cleared um uh i had Hit. to send in a verification code and then it was cleared immediately
0: i think she's saying to do this in case it was somebody trying to hack into your account yeah, i understand so
4: i'm i'm just uh, sharing information so uh, bottom line is uh, log out from all devices and then uh, log back in and change password.
0: Correct. Very good. Yes. There's an easy way to do that, too. It has a option on the Twitter account to log up, out of all devices so that you don't have
5: to log in on each one and sign out. And that's the only effective way, actually, to do so. So that's right. Under settings. Yeah.
0: Well, okay, uh, Tara was gonna join us. I guess she got um held up in mm-hmm. another space, but um, I don't know why my my tweet about Dr. Malone's account being censored is now censored, but <laughs> <Tara> sent me. <laughs> <laughs> the irony it's exactly like the the case where you and I were in front of the Twitter European headquarters, and I posted a picture about twitter Twitter being the Ministry of truth, and then they they suspend me. <laughs> the irony never ends. It really doesn't.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And, and also the pettiness. Um, Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm good for now. I thank you for uh, Texas for intervening Um, and I I hope I haven't wasted anybody's time.
0: Not at all. I thought it would be good to jump on here. And I think Tara was just going to try to uh, raise level of awareness of what happened to you and what she saw was happening to my account and, Um, try to make everyone aware that there's still some some either nefarious activities or glitches going on with the algorithm that still need to be addressed. So I'm glad that we at least got to chat about that real quick, and hopefully we can get some of these issues addressed or worked out and find out what's going on.
4: Okay, so I'm going to jump off now and get on to Ursa's phone call. Is that acceptable? Okay.
0: (laughs) All right, that sounds good. That'll make Kat happy. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye, Dr. Mullen. All right. Andrew, you sound like you're sick, by the way. You just jumped off stage. <laughs> oh, he left the chat. Sphinx, are you still there? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what's, what's going on with mine, but Tara, the, the screenshot she sent. Can you it, tell sorry. me what happened? <laughs> yeah.
5: Tell me. I don't know the story about yours. your stuff.
0: So I shared the screenshot showing that Dr. Malone's account had been um, suppressed. And was there's a warning label put on it, and it said that he was following zero people. And so um, I shared that, and then Tara sent me a screenshot, and she goes, uh-oh, you're under attack now, too, because it said, tweet unavailable. So nobody can see the tweet, <laughs> apparently. Um, I, I don't know how she came across it that way, but it just said it was unavailable. Like it was removed, but it's still there. So no idea what, what caused that on mine, but it's not the first time it's happened. I tried to start a space earlier and Tara said that she couldn't see it. I sent her the link and she was like, there's something weird going on. So no idea what's causing all of this, but hopefully we can get it addressed soon.
5: Yeah, I saw your but, tweet with the picture, but I was able to see it. I'm still able to see it. Um, but sometimes it happens uh, with terrorist, um tweets as well, though. She'll DM me something, or she'll DM me an uh, invite to a space, and then I'm, I'm like, it says unavailable. So it's crazy.
0: It really is. Well, um I don't know what the space is going to be about now, since Dr. Malone left. I mean, we could have a few people up here if they want to talk about their censorship stories. I'm good with that if y'all are, so if y'all are just not getting here, sorry you missed you missed Malone.
5: <laughs> Justin always has something to talk about. <laughs>
0: Okay, I brought
2: I brought up the people. Let's see. Make me make me co-host. I might be able to get my friend in here. We were talking about this earlier.
7: Oh yeah. Okay. Oh hi, gang. Hey. So, hey. Hello. How's it going? It's hey, uh, Is Andrew back? Because I had the same disappearing tweets. Tweets were taken down. That Andrew, um, sorry, Dr. Andrew Huff was retweeting. We were retweeting each other's tweets, and mine have just been taken down completely um he's disappeared
0: oh well, well he's sick If you couldn't tell he's under the weather so you oh, like monster, to be spaces that are not really structured either i've <laughs> never had any
7: issue before at all um i've been banned on tiktok and facebook and youtube but i've never had anything taken down and it was substantiated stuff from his book it was his book that i was quoting and referring to and they've disappeared just overnight
8: That's wild. Kitty cat. Here, kitty wonder... cat. Whose kitty cat is that?
0: Sorry. No apologies. It just sounded like
8: a kid. kitty cat in the background there. <laughs> All right. Good evening, everyone. How's everyone doing? Sorry. I just popped on because, uh, kids are finally down and, uh, had a little time for spaces tonight while I browse over work that I'm missing. So what's, uh, what's news? Oh, I know there was a Twitter files that dropped yesterday, wasn't there?
0: Oh yeah,
5: you've been talking about those all day, Justin. I've been listening.
9: Well, it's been. a little <laughs> Sorry, crazy. I... but
5: can you guys talk about? Oh, I apologize, Justin. I didn't know you were talking. Still, I, I was going to ask if you guys could talk about the fight that happened that I missed.
8: Oh, was there a fight? Oh,
5: wait, there was a fight. Yeah, between co-hosts, I think. Are we? Are you talking about Mario and Tara? I guess. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, last night. You mean? Yeah, the Twitter. Yeah, Mario space. <sighs>
10: No, I
8: look I think I
5: don't think it was really a fight. Well, it it it, it, it
8: ventured off topic I, I think was the issue. The the main thing that I remember hearing was that uh, you know, there was there was concern that some of the voices weren't being heard or weren't being heard in the right way and then other people came in. I don't know. It look uh spaces is a new medium that people are just getting the hang of. I mean, obviously it's very similar to podcasting, very similar to radio, very similar to like, a Zoom chat, but it's it's different altogether, right? So people are sort of just getting their sea lakes on it still. A a lot of talking over
2: each other. We were talking about this last night, like, a good way to run if you were going to really structure it and do it rigidly. Like, having a 30-second timer with, like, a 10-second warning buzzer using the soundboard, there's all sorts of ways we can, like, really improve this. You know, if people kind of standardize on how they want to conduct things, because... Yeah, there's definitely,
7: it's pretty tough to navigate. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely that would have be brilliant to have
7: always said that in Clubhouse. It would be so good. I did do it on an old social audio platform, but yes, absolutely, totally agree. Like a formal debate moderation spaces plugin thing where we
2: could like go in and set, you know, speaking time for people so that they automatically get muted and then there's a chance for someone to respond if
7: it's like a debate, you know? Yeah, if it's a balloon debate app that does something similar, so it's quite strict, has a countdown, it gives you a warning. It's like when you're reading a teleprompter when you're doing a speech and it gives you a warning countdown. But um, yeah, balloon debate type style, I think would be excellent.
2: Maybe someone's from Twitter's product team is listening in here and they're taking notes. (laughs) I mean, I think we should like write that (laughs) out. And make a request to, like, we should make a formal, there should be some group that makes a formal request to Musk that has his attention and like just have some sane defaults. Cause otherwise it'll just get, you know, no, it's, I, I, think, you like know, I, I think, you know, like, I think
8: there's a, enough tools right now. I think add-ons are great. Um, mostly it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's all about the moderators and who can sort of control things. I know, um, Mario is great, but he, he, he lets things kind of just fly, right? And so we had uh, a gentleman on last night who a lot of people know. I mean, he, he seems like he's very passionate. His name is Joseph Lee. But um, you know, the minute I saw Mario give him the mic, I knew it was over because uh, Joseph just has one topic that he talks about all day long. And no matter whether you're on the same side or not, he's just going to disagree with you if you're not fully on board with his theory. And that was it. All night long for about an hour there, Joseph Lee was just going off. And you know, those, those are things when you have to kind of control the, 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 the speed and um, the mic off and on here.
0: Yeah, so we tested a bunch of sound boards last night for what it will sound like whenever we are going to do the and implement the 30-second yeah. window for questions. Cool. Oh, it was so much fun! It's probably the most fun I've had in <laughs> space so far. I think we decided on this one.
8: Oh, there you go. That's like, good.
0: <laughs> like this one was a little
5: too dramatic. Oh man. Yeah, but yeah, but Texas, you you need that one because you know half the people aren't going to stop at the ring. <laughs> yeah, if they don't, that's when they uh, they they just get <laughs> muted and moved down to the bottom. So
0: we could try this out and do a rapid round of questions and bring people up. They want to ask questions to. Anybody that's up here. We don't have our um main guest, Dr. Malone or Dr. Huff on here anymore because they both jumped off. But um
7: I'd love to ask a couple of questions of the guys on stage. Um just having been in other rooms, there's a couple of topics that have come up that I would love feedback on.
0: Okay, you get thirty seconds. Are we ready to try this out?
7: Yeah, <laughs> I can do it. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, 30 seconds, two questions. Number one, should we investigate the commercial and the fraudulent side of this, particularly with the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak having what we feel is an offshore account which gives him over half a million investment through a trust fund in New York that he used to work for in Moderna? Question two, should we look at non-mRNA vaccines as having a better safety profile, something that was picked up by Dr. John Campbell on YouTube and actually, interestingly enough, is now being proven out with a lower excess death rate? Thank you.
8: Wow. That was, that was impressive.
0: She's, she has broadcast experience. If y'all couldn't tell. (laughs) So who wants to fill the, those, those two questions. Well,
8: uh, as to question one, I, I'm not completely, I've heard rumors about the, uh, the happenings across the pond. And I would just say, uh, yeah, all, all, all bets are off as far as, um, who actually incentivizes from a lot of this here. You've heard Dr. Fauci here on this side of the pond, uh, hem and haw in front of Congress when asked to produce records on who receives remuneration from uh, a lot of these drugs. In particular, we're looking at um, remdesivir. I, I want to know who benefited from that because there's, there's really very little reason to uh, in- introduce remdesivir into this thing um, except that it became – a boon for um, hospitals to recoup some of the money that they lost because they closed down the most profitable parts of their business, and that was in October 2020. Uh, one of the reasons why the stats on hospitals went so large in October 2020 and scared everyone is that the CMS, that is the the government group that approves uh, payments to hospitals that take uh, Medicare, Medicaid money, and otherwise, uh, they approved remdesivir, which is a five-day treatment. So all of a sudden, a little observation room, uh, patient that, you know, had symptoms of COVID would be given remdesivir over five days and had to stay there. Uh, that was a big boon financially for the hospitals. Um, n- nothing nefarious necessarily, just, you know, they, they shut down the most profitable parts of the, the hospital. How are you going to recoup money? Uh, and then also the hospitals got out of the CMS that same day, uh, the ability to put, um, what were, uh, observation beds. Uh, into, uh, the, the COVID beds as well. So there's, there's lots of financial things that need disclosure because at the end, there very well may be some very, very wealthy, uh, members of, uh, the federal, uh, officers and the people that are elected or unelected and they may have gotten, I don't know. Uh, the second question was yes, again, what?
7: Uh, My second question was more directly about non-mRNA vaccines, for example, Sinopharm and Sputnik, um, which seem to not, they don't replicate the spike protein, the toxic part of it, and therefore are having a lower safety profile, which seems to be exhibited in lower excess deaths and lower adverse events.
8: Yeah, you know, as to the other non-mRNA vaccines, let's take J&J, for example, um, for some reason, Dr. Fauci just hated J&J possibly because he was really pushing for just mRNA vaccines. Uh one example in FOIA request emails we have on I think September 13th no sorry it was it was February uh sometime in in 20, 2021 and uh he received an email from uh one of the the VPs over at J&J saying hey uh, Dr Fauci we want to talk to you about the progress here when can I get on your schedule uh, and then he got at the same time, an email from someone at the Pepsi co foundation, which is uh, like the nonprofit arm of Pepsi. And, uh, the guy at the Pepsi foundation was says, I wanted to talk to you about an executive position that we're looking to fill on our board of directors. Now, Dr. Fauci instructed his admin to the Pepsi co person, be sure to put 15 minutes on my schedule for Monday. First thing to talk to this guy. As to the J and J person, he sent back an email and said, Oh, you know, VP of J and i I'm so sorry. Uh, my time is not my own. It's completely beholden to what Congress wants. And of course, we know in I think it was April of 2021, he then ceased uh, under his direction and under the FDA. He he sort of pushed the FDA to pause the J and J vaccines based on eight blood clot cases. Okay. Now I I just posted. I'll I'll see if I can post it to the to the thread here. But um, you, you want to guess how many there's cases on COVID vaccines, uh, mentioned the word clot now, it's, it's over 5,700. <laughs> so if, for some reason, Dr. Fauci wanted only the mRNA matrix being used on this thing because I think he had future endeavors there. I think there is a case made for bringing um, some of the other non-mRNA vaccines here. But again, most of it is is pretty pretty difficult. Uh, as Sunetra Gupta one of the top epidemiologists out of Oxford has said, coronavirus is a slippery bugger. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She would never use the word bugger. That's me, but it's, it, it's just really <laughs> hard to produce vaccines quick enough. It just gets around it. I mean, even our inflow, I don't know if you guys know this, but the flu shot, right? The, the, the CDC has tracked that for years and they always track what they call their burdens, which is how, how, uh, how much, how many lives does the flu vaccine save? Well, The flu vaccine reduces deaths, by their estimate, maybe 10 maybe 12%. So the flu vaccine sucks in many ways. There's no reason to think that the coronavirus vaccine is going to do any better, especially as the variants keep coming out. There you go. That's mine.
2: I wanted to add one quick thing to what you said about remdesivir, and then that would be the uh, manufacturer was Gilead, right? Gilead?
8: I think that's right, yeah.
2: Right. So the three largest shareholders of Gilead, Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street. So it's the same, it's the it's same clown show all the way down. Yes. Yeah, as the as nurses
8: would tell me, they referred to remdesivir as run, death is near.
7: Exactly. <laughs> so just to come back to you, Justin, because you, you made a couple of good points there. Um, when you were talking about um, the mRNA and non mRNA vaccines, um, it's also interesting that the WHO, um, as well as the US government alongside, held back the um, Sputnik and Sino farm apply, um, applications for EUA on um, several occasions, even though efficacy studies and studies had been done that hadn't even been conducted on Comedity or Pfizer. The testing that had been done on the non-mRNA vaccines was ahead of time, and yet they were stalled.
8: Yeah, I I don't know the full history there. I, I do know that there was plenty, as you say, stalling going on. Uh, if you recall, um, Dr. Fauci did not approve or did not even mention uh, the monoclonal antibody treatments until well into, I think, late August. In fact, it happened to be the first time he ever mentioned monoclonal nuclei, uh, antibody treatments was the day after... The, uh, the vaccine came out of EUA status for the older age group. That was because, of course, under the EUA sort of mantra, in, in if you do not have an alternate treatment, then you're allowed EUA status. If you can demonstrate a treatment that is beneficial, like monoclonal nuclei antibodies in August 2021, then it would, it would lose by law or by, you know, edict there that EUA status. So he waited until at least it was out of EUA status for that older age group. And then he mentioned for the first time that treatment, which actually did pretty well, uh, especially against the early variants.
7: Boris Johnson, our prime minister got very sick, took it. And that was the same time.
2: Hey, Drew, Um, you've had your hand up for a while. Drew, do you want to, do you want to add something?
11: Uh, Yeah. I don't know if it's connected to that. I just read a article on daily wire that uh, the, Excuse me. The they're removing the military mandate for soldiers. I, I don't know if anybody's been hearing about that. I think it's a new McCarthy uh, going after this. I just want to see how true that is and what's going to happen to the sold the military members that were kicked out um, due to not getting the
9: vax. I just want to see. I don't know if that, how much this applies to the talk, but uh, it's news.
8: It it is accurate. On the uh, I just posted it to uh, my Substack uh, COVID reason. And, um, it is a memorandum. Uh, the memorandum is very, um, it just came out today, but it, it's very, uh, mealy mouthed. But as you parse through it, you realize very quickly they have dropped the vaccine requirement. And so for our armed forces, you are no longer required to be vaccinated. Yeah. There you go. Applause there. So that, that, that is true. That just came that out and that news. was part of, that was part of the uh, McCarthy uh, push there. So.
9: Excellent. Uh, quick story about me: I was in the military when
11: I was mandated to get it. Hang uh, on, developed... hang
2: on, Drew, Drew, Drew. We're gonna we're gonna keep moving things along a little bit because we got a we got a bunch of people in here. Um, I see Pasovic has joined us, and uh, there's a few others. Um, Hockey, do you want to? Um, you've got your hand up too. Hockey, you want to go ahead?
12: Yes, uh, thank you. Just quick question: uh, I- I've just realized through this whole thing, there's a massive ontology of all the evil things uh, the pharmaceutical industry has done. And so this whole thing just didn't happen overnight. So my question is, you know, is there an awareness uh, about that? And, you know, Dr. Malone alluded to uh, even the journals being uh, just like totally ineffective and corrupt. Um, so I'm just kind of trying to gauge the uh, general awareness uh, that people have about that, What you will think about it.
0: Justin, you want to take that one?
8: Well, uh, Pfizer itself has a, a long history of, of fines and, um, basically run-ins with the FDA. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's nothing particularly new. We, we see a lot of that there. They, you know, they, they basically build into a lot of their budgets knowing that, uh, they'll probably be taken to task on, on different things there. I mean, the history is, is pretty replete. Um, they settle a lawsuit of lying. There's a lawsuit. Uh, back in 2011, where they paid $430 million for promoting a drug to doctors. Um, the, in, X, in 2008, they were convicted of uh, manipulating studies by paying doctors to um, go a specific way. Uh, there was a – I think back in 2009, there was a $2.3 billion uh, payment that they made uh, for fraudulent marketing. I mean they, they literally will build this into the budget because they just go f- so fast and furious. Um, and as you see, you know, from the, the Twitter files yesterday, uh, where I made just a, a small cameo appearance, uh, the, the FDA commissioner, uh, Scott Gottlieb, as I lovingly call him sometimes, and I don't think he likes it, COVID Kardashian. Um, he, uh, he, he was, you know, calling up Twitter and trying to, uh, get people to, uh, to take down our posts, take down my posts, take down other posts. And it looks like he probably did that repeatedly. Um and, and just used his sort of influence to do that. Then you know he uh he put his own post up there, and, and so he moved from FDA commissioner to board of directors of Pfizer within a month uh, in 2019. And that just is that's just bad juju, right? I mean, it's just it just reeks of something very sus, as my my 19 year old would say. That's sus, Dad. But um yeah, I, I think there's a long history of uh of of some really nefarious things going on. Uh, but at the same time, I usually I usually err on the side of ineptitude. So uh, if there are fines that these people made, it's because they made huge mistakes, and no one was on top of it to do that. In fact, I I tend to think that the massive wave of vaccine entries that we are logging and that we are seeing is, you know, some people attribute it to like deliberate malice to reduce the population. Now, I I, I chalk it up to um, a lot of Really, really dumb stuff that they did. Example, there is some evidence that some of the lots, that is the, the, the batches of the vaccine that are shipped out to different places, um, you know, that, that the mixture may not have been, uh, great. So you may have gotten, you know, all of fluid or you may have gotten a double dose of the IUs on, on the vaccine itself. It's just, uh, it was, it's kind of, someone described it to me like, um, it's like Newman salad dressing, you know, it, it'll settle, um, and then you have problems. And then our, our good friend, Christy Grace, uh, who's, I think her handle is heart of grace, if I remember correctly on Twitter, but she is a accredited, um, bioanalyst. She does all this stuff for a living. One of the things she discovered was that, um, the LMPs, that is the delivery package for, uh, the spike protein, the thing that comes with the virus, right? That if it's not kept, to a very low temperature, it can cause a lot of problems, and we have a lot of evidence that um, the shipping, the storing, uh, the t- distribution, uh, a-, a lot of issues. So don't uh, don't apply to malice what can be easily chalked up to in aptitude.
0: Okay, and for everyone that was not in here before, we're doing a quick thirty second um, t- clock for a question. Uh, for anybody that's that's up here on stage you can ask a question and then we move you back down to the audience so i guess next up we'll go to Lonnie. Lonnie. or emma's, Lonnie. emma's
2: got her hand up um Lonnie okay. will go in in a few minutes
0: okay
13: go ahead emma okay so um um, I agree with Justin about, you know, don't, don't attribute malice to what could just be ineptitude. But, um, someone else was speaking before that and spoke about the, or maybe it was you, Justin, about all the times that Pfizer has been fined and done things that were totally nefarious. This time is where, where I'm really, uh, irritated. Like why I'm so involved in this is because. It seems to me that not just Pfizer being nefarious, but the FDA entirely and the, the CDC, perhaps, and the NIH. And then, you know, that's where I get really concerned. So I, I just want to see what you had to say about that.
8: Yeah. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, so I was the founder of a group called Rational Ground. We were out very early in um, 2020, helping to try to bring some sanity to policies, and then we ended up being the main support team for Scott Atlas when he was at the White House, and uh, helping him with you know trying to trying to write the ship there, uh, providing him data and charts and everything he needed. But you know he he told me again and again these people were just and if you've read his book, um, they're just dead set on a course and they weren't going to deviate. I mean we would say. Scott you know here you are just absolutely bulldozing them with all this information right like he would he would bring in a study like here's a stat that we I share in my book and his book which is we believe that we missed based on two different studies about 250,000 cases of potential child abuse and domestic abuse why just and this is just in the spring of 2020 because those are typically called out by sharp-eyed teachers And administrators and kids weren't in school. So he'd bring up that flip side of the coin and the people at the CDC and the people at the FDA and everything. And they just go, um, and the HHS, they would just, you know, poo -poo pooh What what are these sort of, Dr. Burks would say these sort of, you know, fringe stats that he would bring up, right? And they, they just, they're blind to it. Uh, and then there are, there are things in place at the HHS, at the NIAD where Fauci headed that are just. That really need to be fixed. So for example, Dr. Fauci, um, and, uh, former director Collins of the HHS who just retired as well, they were both on the decision panel for all the monies, all the grants, the billions of dollars of grants that the HHH gives out, HHS gives out every year. And so you know, imagine if you had a study that was going to ask the question, uh, you know what are the level of virions that need to pass MDIs for a mask to be efficient enough to keep out COVID, and even an N95, as my good friend Megan Manzel will tell you, they don't work. Right, masks don't work for that. But what are the chances of that study getting approved under the signature of Collins or Fauci? Nil, because you, you, we need to separate the people that set the policy and that give out the money. Because they're not going to give out money for anything that goes against their narrative. So there's one point of pure corruption or just, uh, you know, really bad incentives there in place. It
13: seems like a a bit of both. I mean, like, especially when, when what I hear about the the prices that the hospitals were being paid to prescribe remdesivir and then, you know, the whole not prescribing things like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine at the beginning. Early on, like all these things, just it's it's disheartening. That's all.
8: It is, and I'll I'll just say one more point on that, which is: uh, this is. I always try to tell my team, and I try to think myself, what is the kindest interpretation that I have of this? Right? Like, I, I I don't want to believe that hospital administrators across the country were somehow bilking the U.S. taxpayer of these dollars. And actually, when I go and talk to these folks. One of the things they, they talk about is if you're if you're a hospital admin worth your salt, and all of a sudden your utilization drops below seventy-five percent, which is basically a hospital that's going to go out of business, and they just shut down all of the elective surgeries for a year, right? That 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 basically make all your profit because you're not getting much money out of the government for any of the stuff that you pay for there. And, and so you're looking for any which way you can do to keep your hospital open. I mean, during During the pandemic, believe it or not, like some 50 rural hospitals shut down because they just couldn't keep it profitable. Right. And so the vehicles that the government put in place for reimbursement were set so that, you know, they could, they could make some money or some, recruit some money and keep themselves a business, which again is terrible incentives. Uh, Another example, I talked to someone who's part of the movie industry. Believe it or not, in, in Hollywood right now, if you're going to go make a movie, you still have to test for COVID in and out like multiple times a day uh i think masking is sort of ad hoc but testing is still very much enforced why well if you go to the end of the credits you see how many how many people it takes to make a movie there's a whole new section there of new hires people whose job it is to do this testing also the actors are super incentivized to keep testing if you get a last minute call You have to go do a test, a PCR test at a local pharmacy, whatever else there. And uh, you're reimbursed pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nicely for that, too. So just bad incentives all across the board.
0: Awesome. Hey, Kevin, I know you had your hand up next. If you want to go ahead and ask your question.
9: Well, I was just, hey, everybody, I was just kind of springboarding on that because, I mean, the question is incentives or corruption or how do you disentangle the incentives from the corruption that's occurring. But I love when you get to talking about evidence because I've been trying to, um, what I do when I'm listening to these spaces is try to unravel the narrative that's emerging into the future so that we can understand how, at what level people are going to hopefully, well, I don't know if the goal is to prosecute people or at what level, but I mean, obviously it would be fun to imagine Fauci being, being, indicted for something for some crime but uh, help me understand like where where the vulnerable crack in the globalists armor is and like help me let's uh, envision the future for a moment and get get some feedback on that maybe thanks
8: well i I always tell my team to set your expectations because the chances of dr Fauci being frog marched out of Congress and to jail are very, very small. But at the same time, there is, um, a lot of comeuppance that we can have. You may recall a few months ago, uh, a very astute, very accredited, uh, statistician, uh, she looks into biology stuff all the time. Her name is Emily Oster. She wrote a piece for the Atlantic and it was, it was called, uh, why we need amnesty, right? And she was talking about people that were on that side and, and, you know, first amnesty <laughs> admits that something was wronged. Someone was wronged, right? And I was saying, look, you know, we welcome all comers to team reality. I mean, there are people probably in this call who a few months ago may have been advocating for masks and lockdowns and then realized, oh my gosh, I'm on the wrong side of this thing. And that's fine. I mean, a lot of, a lot of wool was pulled over a lot of people's eyes. Even, you know, the famed Leanna Wen, the, 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 multiple day interviewee that CNN who was advocating for anyone who was unvaccinated to basically be shoved to the side, she ended up saying face masks are nothing more than facial decorations. And that started the whole ball, whole ball rolling. But, you know, so we welcome you to team reality, but here's the caveat for Leanna and for Emily and for others, they should never ever have an influence on public policy again. Right. So I, I don't know how that looks and what that means, but um, I have it on good authority uh, from the the people in uh, in the House leadership right now that uh, they are going to start doing those things. So they had a they had a select committee on COVID that was headed by Steve Scalise, and um, that was thinking they were thinking about sunsetting that, but they're going to keep that around. And then, of course, uh, Jim Jordan is heading up the special committee that just got organized yesterday, which is on. The DOJ and the investigation there uh, into how it was they targeted parents who were you know pretty upset at these school board meetings and how they targeted them and tagged them as terrorists. Now, what's going to happen there, as I understand it, is they're going to be talking about that issue in particular, and then they're going to pivot and they're going to say, so why were these parents so upset at these school board meetings? And that's when we have the chance to bring in some really accredited people who could talk about these stories Bring in even some of you, and that's what we're working towards too, is trying to work with Congress and bring in testimony of people whose kids went through hell during those school years and those close downs and try to make it so we can never do that again. So where are the kinks in the armor? I think the first and foremost is you can't lose with talking about the kids. Because as I say in my book, you know, you and I are adults. Um, yeah, we got some some pretty big bruises uh over these lost a lot of time in our lives. But our kids, they don't get that time back, right? I, I have eight kids, those of you who know me. And I had four of them at home, five of them at home at the time during the pandemic, of all different ages. And they all suffered immensely. And I, I want a little comeuppance for that. I want to make sure that they never have to experience that again. Their kids never have to experience that again. So I think start with the kids. Eight Post-o. kids. Post-o.
11: Hey, got? so everybody, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on. Justin, appreciate being here. And, uh, Lindsay, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me on. And I, I love the fact that we're finally able to actually have a forum where we are able to hold these discussions. You can bring people together on a specific topic we can sort of throw the political labeling aside and just talk as, as people that are all trying to go through these issues at the same time. And I guess my question for Justin, or really just throw it out to everybody. And I I see a bunch of people on, uh, that I'm friends with some people that I, that I have met in spaces, other people that, uh, you know, that are new friends and a lot of new faces, but also I really do appreciate that one of the new committees that we're seeing have been, been, um, I guess, founded and established under the new House leadership is a committee directly on the CCP because I think that committee can work jointly with this sort of COVID truth committee because I think you're going to see a lot of interaction there. Um, There's obviously an interaction and an intersection between Fauci, the NIH, and the gain-of-function experimentation that was being done at the Wuhan lab. But at the same time, here we are, Three years out from the public, you know, really revelation that this virus had come out and probably, probably four or even more, depending on how you count, from the origin of the whole thing. And I really think that if we were able to go back early on, understand what this thing was, understand what they had designed, why they had designed it. And we would have easily known the profile of people that it would have affected. We would have understood what we were dealing with, but we still have yet to actually. We don't talk comeuppance. Uh, not only do I want comeuppance for for Dr. Fauci and everybody at the NIH, but we absolutely need to figure out why it was. And I keep going back to this that the Chinese Communist Party they were they so they shut down travel internally within china which which was around chinese new year if you have any idea how big chinese new year is in china right you know look at chinatown and go see any chinese new year they shut travel down internally but they continued travel externally and they've never been called to account on this and we've never seen a real explanation for why this was done so i want to see whistleblowers up there i want to see subpoena power going into everyone with eco health alliance everyone that was tied to Fauci, all of these people, haul them all up there, and not because we just want to go forward and and have entertainment because I want a serious investigation to nail down exactly what, because this is the, this is key. This is key throughout all of COVID throughout all of the vaccine and the mandate was just taken away for the military, but obviously there's still issues with back pay and people who need to be reinstated full rank, by the way, including promotions that would have lost uh time and grade, all of it. This was done to us. This was done to us. And whether it was an inadvertent leak or something deliberate, I tend to think it was more of an inadvertent leak, but it was a deliberate spread. Um, We need actual accountability for that, as opposed to just, you know, sort of passing this off as, oh, it just sort of naturally occurred, when there's no Explain, you're talking about these spike proteins. We're talking about the receptors that there's no, the AES receptors that there's nothing found in nature. Show me the, the chain of events. Show me the village. Show me the animal, the pass through creature. It doesn't exist. You know what the pass through species was? It was the lab rats that had been genetically mutated to be humanized inside the Wuhan lab by Sher Lee and Dr. Anthony Fauci. That's the pass through creature because they are the ones who created this thing.
0: Exactly.
2: on
11: uh,
0: um, First, Jack,
8: dziękuję, jak się ma. Okay, we're both uh, going
0: to kick you out if you start
13: doing that <laughs> Which is, uh,
8: yeah I, I, I happen to speak uh, Polish there, I spent a few years in Poland, but uh, I always wanted to say that to you, Jack. Thanks. Great to meet you, too.
11: Dziękuję. <laughs> uh, uh,
8: uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, my Mandarin is really tight I, my, I, don't, I don't have it down yet sorry but I will say this about I, I'm just going post to the uh, to the thread here uh, it, It's very possible that the the satellite office of the Wuhan lab of uh, of of virology there is actually about 900 feet away from where the wet market is right Someone pointed to me and we got some translation going. I'm not sure it's not confirmed but that is there, there was a location. That basically was Justin, right across the river from the wet market. About just and we have long. the
0: EcoHealth Alliance whistleblower but, on stage right now. Yeah. Oh, do yeah. we bring him? Let's on? go. He's got. He's got. Yeah. Go? Yep.
14: We do.
1: Yeah. Hi everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. And all of a sudden, I got a whiny puppy here, so I'll try to walk to a different room. So. Oh, wow. you know, there's this? a number. Of, <laughs> Amazing. There's a number of things that I, I just. I'm still shocked to say day that the information hasn't went mainstream so starting with the timeline events, the first cases of SARS-CoV-2 are identified in China from blood serum samples in late August, or early 20, uh, late August, or early September of 2019. By that point, the virus is already circulating around the planet. They pick it up again with uh, blood serum samples from people in Europe with direct travel back to Wuhan. Um, then next the Chinese in October, uh, Start buying emergency buying containment equipment because they know that they have a leak, and there's receipts and documents to prove this. The next thing that happens is well, then event two hundred one happens, the World Military Games in Wuhan happen occur, and all the athletes report that the Wuhan's a ghost town. There's nobody on the streets. They're taking everyone's temperatures. They're, they're wearing uh, bio containment suits called hivex, and a bunch of those athletes all get sick and go back to their home countries with an unknown uh, pneumonia-like illness. Additionally, we know that, that this disease was spreading in the United States and other Western countries in November and December of 2019. So this whole narrative about the wet market is complete BS. Since when does the United States government or United States scientists ever trust data that's handed to us by the chinese and to help put this in context i used to be an advisor to the highest levels of the department of homeland security the office of health affairs and other health agencies when i worked at san san, san national laboratories as a senior member of the technical staff i mean this 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 whole this whole narrative that they constructed and the fact that we're talking like the data that came like whoa this whole wet market idea—we have these case data. We're going to give you these. We're going to analyze these. No, that was all curated data that was handed to us. And I could stop there. I could talk about this forever, but you know, I'm happy to take any questions that you guys have. Well, you yeah, know, Aubrey, my my
11: question, and 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 I know you and I have been trying to um to to sit down and do an interview, and and we're going to have to do that at some point here. But while I have you, it's it's in your mind. It sounds like you're lining up with, with where my thinking was and my thesis is that this was something that was designed. Uh, it, you know, whether you say it's, it was a bioweapon or whether it was designed for gain of function and, you know, had a dual years capability, I'll put that aside, right? But obviously it was designed, but you think it was a leak. Now, even if it was an inadvertent leak, what about the spread? Was the spread of this deliberate
1: or was it inadvertent? I think it could have been both. So I think at first it was inadvertent and then it it became deliberate, I think, at some point. Because if you look at, you know, so China's a huge country and they do try to put containment into place or biocontainment or biosecurity practices around the laboratory when the disease starts spreading. And that's indicated by cell phone traffic and satellite observations. Um, And when I say cell phone traffic, uh, cell, cell, cell phone location data in China and especially around their laboratory facilities. So... It looks like that they they are good faith actors trying to plug the leak. Now, <clears throat> the whole idea.
11: But you mean you mean initially just, in in that 2019 time frame?
1: Correct. In in late uh, August, early September 2019. Now they they probably start letting people travel, and they do let people travel later on in November and December because their strategy probably changes. It probably at that point it already looks like the United States government and the Chinese start working together on this cover up plan in late October, early November of 2019, maybe sooner. And I, so there's a weird anecdotal thing that happens to me personally. So um, <clears throat> one of the head biologics program directors, uh, Dr. Amy J- Jenkins at DARPA, contacts me and offers me which would be the pinnacle of the biologics division research position while I'm a tech executive out in California. And I had tried to get away from the national security space for years. I no longer wanted to work in it. I wanted to do happy (laughs) things where I wasn't always working on doom and gloom and had to have a security clearance. And I get a phone call from her on a cell phone that was brand new that nobody else had the number to. I hadn't given it out to anyone, especially none of my former colleagues in the national security community had this phone number, but she somehow gets a hold of me on this phone and gives me the hard press to, to take this biologics program officer position at DARPA, and the only, I mean, it was so strange and out of the blue, Um, you know, I was flattered to have this offer, because if if I received this offer, you know, 10 years earlier in my career, I probably would have accepted it without question, but I firmly believe that they were actually trying to read me into the program uh, to silence me, because I was the only person uh, that was external to Equal Alliance, and the U.S. government that had enough inside knowledge from different aspects of the government, probably to put it together.
11: Now, when you say the U S government was involved in the cover-up, do you mean that that's something that was done sort of at this intelligence community slash national security level, or this include the Trump white house, uh, the president, the oval office, all of that, or do you think that they were keeping him in the dark as well?
1: I have no clue. I mean, it's hard to know at, at that level. I have a strong reason to believe that both the defense intelligence agency and central intelligence agency are involved because my former boss, Dr. Peter Dasik uh, asked me whether or not I should work with the CIA and then told me that he was working with them. And then when I came forward with that information, um, the FBI and the intelligence community came after me personally.
2: How did they come after
1: you um, personally? Well, there's probably a year's worth of police reports it's a, a real crazy story. But initially, um, all my devices start being hacked, uh, phones, computers, networking equipment. Basically, anything in my house with a Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi capability becomes hacked. And this happens on a recurring basis. They're hacking my email accounts. My bank accounts are even getting hacked. Uh, and this, this escalates to home break-ins. So then I experienced um, numerous break-ins over the course of 21, uh, 2021 to 2022 then um someone shot a hole what did
2: they my, what did they uh, do during the during the break ins do you have any idea what they might have done
1: well, um yeah they are stealing computers devices hard drives um, basically and Andrew, just I can,
0: I can corroborate all of this for you because you're yeah. telling me this happened when i was um i worked with help earlier this this year trying to help him get his story out and um, i you know when you meet somebody that you know, when you, when you come in contact with someone you've never met before and they're telling you that their house is constantly being broken in by either the FBI or the CIA or the Chinese, you you might think that they're crazy. Well, I, so I started taking my laptop with me everywhere. I went because he shared documents with me that we were putting together to send to journalists all over the world. And so I started carrying it with me everywhere. I left it at home one day. And when, when I went to a work lunch and when I came back home, Everything on my computer was erased, and there was this car that was sitting outside of my house that was there for a week, and it was gone. Never saw that car again, and everything on my computer was gone. I called Andrew, and I was like, okay, I totally believe everything you're saying now. (laughs) It's a little surreal. But Andrew had his place physically broken into. I don't know if they accessed my computer remotely or what.
1: Yeah, and it gets crazier. So from there, this just keeps escalating because they – do not want me talking, and then that simultaneously, I get a contract with Skyhorse to uh, publish or write and publish my book.
15: Andrew, had...
8: Were you over in China for a bit there?
1: No, I wasn't. I, I saw the part of the Predict program, which actually funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology first. the uh, The interesting thing here that that they keep talking about the news, which is not accurate, is that uh, Doctor Fauci funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and actually, it began under USAID. United States Agency for International Development under the Predict program uh, years earlier, so this had kicked off under a completely different program. And I don't know how many of you understand the history of USAID, but it's it's oftentimes the CIA front organization.
2: Yeah, it's a cutout. Yeah. So it's just how can we how can we infiltrate other countries, other places, and get you know ingratiate ourselves elsewhere, more or less, and do shady things? Exactly. Hey guys, so,
9: I don't I don't want to
0: change the subject, but can I just cut in really quick and uh, ask Dr. Lindsay a question before I have to jump out of here? Are, are you there? <laughs> I just wanted to ask you if uh, Dr. Malone's account was was fixed or if it was
13: still having issues. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, his account was fixed. He had a meeting with other doctors that he forgot about. So he only popped in for like 10 minutes and then he had to go to that meeting. Um, But yes, his account's fixed. I just don't know about my account sharing the tweet about his accounts being censored is fixed or not. So some people say they can see it, um, but I have gotten a few messages just like yours saying that it's still censored. So, but he seems to be good to go. We just don't know what the cause was. Okay. yeah, that seems to be an ongoing issue that hopefully will get worked out eventually. But there is still some level of censorship going on. Um, It seems to be especially in regard to vaccines and covid. So I'm sorry, guys, I didn't mean to interrupt the conversation, but I'm going to jump down to listener and good luck with the space. Good
13: job.
11: Tara. How dare you? How dare you! Come in? <laughs> I mean, just can we, everyone banned Greta? her completely. Completely. with a bulldozer. Hashtag
13: in. That Greta. <laughs> How dare you! How dare you! <laughs> but,
11: uh, but there actually, you go. Actually, actually, on that note, there um, you go. I'm gonna have to drop down the listener too because I need to get the kids to bed. So great, great space, everybody. Appreciate it.
8: Good night. Come up. on, Jack. Mine are already in bed
11: like an hour
2: I
10: mean, ago. Just eight kids.
11: But that being yeah, said.
10: Remember my to, kids remember get to retest the faith
11: sleep In the whole wide world, because they, <laughs> Why, only they sleep? No, oh,
16: with uh, on
11: mypillow.com, pro- available to you oh, gosh, with promo code no. POSTO a, up to, down, down the listener,
8: down the listener.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, we need to put
8: that promo <laughs> code. Buying on my pillow. We, we did it. We did it. Wow. Uh, Andrew, Amazing. question for you too. Um, you know, there, obviously there's, there's been a host of, uh, of different articles coming out lately indicating that not only was the, the funding done towards uh, Wuhan and, and through, uh, you know, your old firm and everything else there, but that it was actually developed here in the United States and there was some transfer mechanism. I, obviously I'm not sure if that's sort of the, uh, it, you know, the actual uh, geo uh, coding or anything else there, but what what can you tell us about what it means when these articles come out And uh, I to someone today about how the virus was, was originated here in the United States. Can you tell us what that conveys?
1: Yeah, well, I'm not sure because I didn't read the article, but I can try to just correct any mis- or disinformation. So how, how this process actually worked is that under the USAID PREDICT program at Equal Health Alliance, we went around the globe and we collected uh, coronavirus samples and then samples of other um, highly infectious uh, diseases, but primarily coronaviruses, and that was one of the big... Interest of the or part of the uh, program, programmatic objectives of the research profile. So, um, you first, then you go collect these samples. You get them out of bats, typically, and then you bring the samples back to different laboratories. Typically, those laboratories were contracted through places like EcoHealth Alliance, UC Davis, or MetaBiota in country. And then that genetic material would either be sent back to laboratories in the United States. Or it would be uploaded into a digital database, because uh, at this time, back in 2014 or 2015, uh, genetic uh, and bio g- genetic technology and bioinformatics is really improving, and things like synthetic biology are becoming more of a reality by the month. So, during this time frame, uh, technology is rapidly rapidly advancing. So those samples would typically then come back to. Uh, Dr. Ian Lipkin's laboratory at the University of Columbia. He's a virus isolation expert, probably the world's leading, and an epidemiologist like me. And then he worked with another doctor by the name of Dr. Simon Anthony, Anthony to isolate these viruses because it's really tricky to find new novel viruses in samples when you don't know what you're looking for. So these guys have it all figured out and dialed in. So after them they, they identified the novel viruses, then they would send them down to Ralph Barrick's laboratory at the University of North Carolina. Dr. Ralph Barrick is the gain-of-function expert of the world. I mean, he invented most of the methods and techniques. He is the guy. So then he would do this humanized mouse gain-of-function technology work. And here's the interesting history between the Wuhan Institute of Virology in the United States. So before I went to go work at Sandia, and I was, or excuse me, at uh, Equus lines, when I was working at Sandia, when I was hard into biowarfare, bioterrorism, uh, national security research, biodefense, everybody in, on the planet knew that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the B4 weapons laboratory for the Chinese. Just nobody could get into it to access it. And it was also known that their their technology was probably about 10 years behind the, the United States. So essentially what happens, and I talk about this in my book, and it's, it's a fun question to ask. So to anyone listening, do you think the Chinese need $500,000 of U.S. funding to do gain-of-function work? That's a no. Okay. Do you think they need $5
2: million? That's also a
1: no. Okay. So what were the Chinese getting
2: out of this? Probably Western technology or something. Bingo, that's it. So
1: we traded the Chinese advanced biotechnology for access to their bioweapons laboratory, so we could collect
2: information, and intelligence on it. Yeah, that's that's also probably that's also probably what they did for for uh, anybody else listening for uh, their Rolls Royce derived engines on their on their brand new fighter jets and everything like that. That's kind of how it works. They pay for licensing, you know, or you pay for licensing and get access in, in exchange to the market. Compelling. Well, and
1: it's, even, it's even worse than that, too, because through Dr. Ralph's uh, Barrick Laboratory and then a number of other research institutions in the United States, we actually train Chinese scientists on these methods and techniques, and then we send them back to China. And that happens through you know,
8: no less than four or
1: five, um, I'd say, high containment, high security laboratories.
8: Yeah, whenever I hear uh, Barrick's name, I want to do this. <coughs>
2: Hey, um, Andrew, I have a, Dr., Dr. Hoff, I have a question for you. Um, I, and I don't know if you're going to be able to speak about it, but this was something that came up I was doing some research on the other day. So there's a new, very large facility being built in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. Are you familiar with that? And can you speak about maybe what, what are some of the things that are going to go on in there? Because I know they're consolidating a lot of different, faci- maybe consolidating is the wrong word, but they're moving a bunch of different programs there. And it's kind of in the center of the country. You know, it's not on an island or anything. It's just sort of feels like Jurassic Park in a lot of ways.
1: Yes, uh, NBAF, so the National Biological Agro Facility, I think that's what the acronym stands for. It's been in development for a number of years, and actually there are sections of it already open. It's a partnership with Kansas State. It's actually the replacement for uh, the foreign animal disease laboratory component on Plum Island. So Plum Island is an island off the coast of Connecticut where the employees have to get on a boat every day, go out there. And, you know, there's been books written about this sort of like horror zombie type books about Plum Island. Um, so the, the facility itself, I mean, they, they could be doing gain of function work. They could be also doing um, different types of exposure studies. So what happens in Bioterrorism uh, and, and chemical terrorism studies is sometimes you might want to kill some cattle with by testing <laughs> by testing the agent on baboons or, or things like that, and that would be the kind of facility to do that. They can also do testing of uh, biological agents um, through food ma- manufacturing processes, which was actually used to be in um, one of my subspecialties. So the concern is that at a food processing facility, somebody will dump a chemical or biological or maybe a physical or radiological agent into the the manufacturing process. And you can actually kill a large number of people quickly that way and spread diseases that way, or you can just attack crops. So that's what this, this facility is aimed at researching and doing it safely. I I think it is a good idea to have that type of facility. Um, Probably just not in the middle of the heartland. And when they had the open comment period years ago, I submitted some comments saying basically, you know, we should have this, but Maybe not right in the middle of Kansas, you know, because it's actually, you know, the the center of beef production for the United States. It's pretty close to the core of it. And there's a lot of uh, other agricultural crops that come out of the area. So if we're going to study those kinds of diseases, why do it right in the middle of that area? And I, I think I know why they did it. It's close to Kansas City and other government resources so i mean it's typically how these things work but they actually i think would have been better off just putting on another island out in the ocean but they other people would argue well i get hit by a hurricane or so there, there's really never any good place for this maybe unless you do it deep underground and Andrew, you know, debatable
8: speaking of these these locations um wh- tell us what role bmx played the the biomuro in Lyon.
1: I have no clue. I've had that question before and I don't have a good answer for it. I'm not sure that I understand
8: it. I'm going to send you just a link here. It's just uh, some evidence that there was some deep ties between that uh, Xi Jinping visiting with his family in 2014 to uh this stuff and it talks about uh how BMX is um, setting up a base production. It says research and development in Shanghai and it jointly established a P4 high-grade biosafety laboratory in Wuhan. This is from a a release from 1914. I'll send it to you here. Okay. Are you going to uh, DM I'll, it? Uh, yeah, but I don't know if you're following me or not, but I'll see okay. if I get I
1: don't know. My follower count, count has dramatically increased <laughs> over the last few days, so I can barely keep up with all this craziness.
8: I'll post it here to the group here so they can see it. Okay. I'm not seeing it yet on my side. Uh, coming right there. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think, look, the, there's some really interesting things. um I, I noted I was just going back to look where I had tweeted this. It was back on March fourteenth, twenty twenty, and I had always been wondering, you know, why Italy was the first sort of ground zero outside of China. And uh, I found an article from uh the New Yorker magazine from twenty eighteen, and the title of the article is "The Chinese Workers Who Assemble Designer Bags in Tuscany." <laughs> well, there's, it was there's like, what tr- was, was the one theory? You know, I think it was from the Wenzhou province. So, it was the like, idea is like there there is some uh, you know, a lot of back and forth traffic between these these groups trying to make these high end leather works up in Tuscany. And no, you're, it's you're possible that right. you're, you're all yeah. over
1: there. So I actually used to date um, was in a long term relationship with a woman from Florence. And um, <laughs> she actually jokingly used to complain about the Chinese all the time um, and them trying to invade the leather market because Florence is sort of like the leather capital of the world. And it's a huge, also a huge tourist destination for the Chinese. Mm. I mean, it's like one of the number one places that they go. So if you're to look at social travel networks and the connections in terms of business and people how they flow, yeah, they're super strong uh, ties to Florence. And well, I don't, I don't know about Toski, but I, I have seen the connection between uh, both Rome and Florence.
8: Yeah, that, it, it's just it's it's a very global world. And you know what I found is even though China has this sort of authority to lock everything down, uh, there are a lot of high-end, wealthy individuals in China who can very much grease those wheels and keep things going, especially if it means they're hitting their bottom line.
0: Okay, Chris, I see you've had your hand up for um, a while. Do you have a quick question? I'm going to start the clock for 30 seconds if you want to go.
17: Yes, ma'am. My question was, uh, is anyone talking about withdrawing liability protection for the vax injury? I raise it because I thought it would be kind of a silver bullet that would address so many different problems. I was surprised to find that we're not even doing active monitoring, and so we don't have uh, statistics stratified by age, gender, brand of the uh, vax that was given. And if we, you know, the Chinese are bad, but we seem to be running this experiment on ourselves, you know, then the injury that we're doing to ourselves may be even worse than than what, what they could do to us. You know, we wouldn't have as many Vax injuries, possibly we wouldn't have any lockdowns and, and maybe better research would have been done on masking if we had gotten proper statistics. Uh, you know, just doing the basic, uh, like not being able to differentiate between in the infection fatality rate and the case fatality rate, you know, we terrified ourselves. And if we had withdrawn that liability protection, we would have given these pharma guys, um, the incentive to do the proper studies. So, you know, we think that they're all greedy. So we turn that greed on themselves so that they, they are, they have some, uh, exposure. And so they actually generate
8: good statistics. And it seemed to be
0: right. Justin, do you want to take that?
8: Sure. So I, I remember, um, I was kind of out very early uh, talking about the, the the IFR versus CFR. And this is pretty basic stuff. If, if you're in marketing, you kind of know this as like funnel, right? Like so many people come to your website. Those people leave their email addresses. You work them a little bit. They become opportunities. And then they become customers, right? The The CDC refers to these as their sort of burdens, the burden of like an influenza season. They call it burden. So So many people get... Infected with influenza over a given series, a, a, a season. So many people have doctor visits, so many people are hospitalized, and so many people are, die. And so in, in 2017, uh, 2018 season, uh, they estimate that about 44 million people uh, got infected with influenza that high season, and somewhere between 50 and 90,000 died. So if you take that sort of, you know, 50 to 90,000 and divide it into the 44 million, that's where you get that number 0.14. That is, out of uh, 100 people or 1,000 people, basically one person will die. Okay. And that's what they call the infection fatality rate. And what happened is Dr. Fauci gets in front of Congress because the WHO had come out very early and said the, infect- the the they said that the fatality rate was 3%. But it was unclear whether they were talking about the case fatality rate or the infection fatality rate. The case fatality rate would be like dividing it into the 800,000 people who did visits to doctors So, you know, because there are lots of people who were infected and they had no idea about it, right? And and that was the problem that he had. Dr. Fauci gets in front of Congress and he's asked, and this is I think in March 2020, he's asked, well, how many people will die from this? And he says the, the, the fatality rate is 1% and maybe 3%. So one out of 100 or three out of 100 people will die. And, of course, he was completely wrong. Because the, the the thing you want is the infection fatality rate, and, and that's what's so frustrating is that we were operating under these terrible terrible numbers. And I remember early on, I you know, I'm as I mentioned in my book, I say at the outset, I'm I'm not a healthcare expert, but I'm a darn good data guy, and so I I sort of put my my skill set to that. But I even I was really nervous coming into I think you know the third week of March and thinking to myself. What if I'm completely wrong? What if What if this is the apocalypse and I've just completely downplayed it? And it was that night John Ioannidis posted his very famous article in Stat News uh, uh, online, which indicated that this is not a once-in-a-time pandemic. As he said, it may be a once-in-a-lifetime data fiasco because we are making – terrible decisions on terrible data and he he put the he said for the at that point i think he basically put the estimates out based on what was happening in italy and off of a cruise ship and he said for the vast majority of people it looks like this isn't going to hurt them at all in fact he says for anyone under 45 there's like statistically no possible there's statistically there's no real risk from covid and he's been born out again and again he came out with this latest one just about three weeks ago and for 85% of people that is anyone under the age of 65 the flu was deadlier even before the vaccines and so it's a it's a really you're right it, if we had that and i think one of the recommendations that we have into congress is you're going to have to just completely revamp the cdc because as you mentioned at the beginning of your comments the cdc has completely ignored the the safety signals that they're supposed to do by law um and uh, you know they've been pressed by it by FOIA request and otherwise, and they've come back and say no, we we've actually haven't done those sort of VARES analysis on these signal noises. And they just now, I think it was just yesterday, they came out with their initial data, and there were all sorts of signals, but they were just ignoring it or they weren't running the numbers on it. And so the the whole CDC needs to be just completely revamped. Uh, and it's it's tough to say what will do it. Someone said maybe the model is the uh, the Federal uh, Transportation Safety Board, the FTSB, which is like an independent entity, right, and it oversees all the sort of you know the airline crashes and everything else there. But they do they do very good work in being a watchdog on this stuff. And so we kind of need an FTSB for our CDC folks. That you know they got twenty thousand employees. I don't know what they're doing. They're twiddling their thumbs because the they could be going after every control? one of these things. Yeah, <laughs> the
2: Centers for Death Control. Yeah, they're they're they right. a lot of employees there. Um okay, let's let's move on to the next one. So N, um you have your you have your hand up.
15: Yeah, thank you for allowing me to speak real quick. I just was curious, I wanted to ask Dr. Hart and or Justin Hart and Dr. Huff, if you guys were aware of, you know, the Project Veritas expose that came out earlier this year that fully details everything regarding the Eco Health Alliance, DARPA, Project Diffuse, and all of these things and I, you know, if if you could, with your personal experience, lend any credibility to what came out in this expose. And, you know, it, it's just very interesting to me that this expose was so greatly censored to the point that even if I try to link the Project Veritas page on Twitter today, it does not show up.
0: Yeah, so have have had to jump off. I could tell he has kind of a little bit of a cold right now, so hopefully he gets better. But yeah, the um, Project Veritas documents came out, I want to say it was the, like the last week of December 2021, or the like the first couple weeks of January 2022. Yeah, th- yeah that's right. So um, yeah, th- those are very similar to what um, Huff has in his possession for as far as grants go from... DARPA and everything else with EcoHealth Alliance and the the grant that was submitted from EcoHealth Alliance to um that really fueled this whole gain of function research that took place in um Wuhan was really similar and I don't think anyone's disputed any of the validity of the documents that came out from Project Veritas they just suppressed them which is just as powerful so yes
15: and just a quick follow up to that. I mean, the only thing I saw that was, you know, truly given a little bit of dispute over its validity was the email from uh, the US Marine Corps Major Justin Murphy. You know, th- that email itself, is that something that you guys have looked at and agree with that analysis? Is that something that we can rely on as, you know, truthful information?
0: So I, you know, I can't attest for the validity of the email. I just know the documents are all exactly alike as the other DARPA grant setup, and the whole layout of all of them. And the information that Justin Murphy brought forward in that letter, his credibility has not ever been in question and the documents that he brought forward are not in question. So I don't know why the email and the credibility, I know that they did a voice over of either someone from Project Veritas reading that email, but I know that because they've been taken to the cleaners multiple times in court it's really made them go through the ringer to make sure that everything they bring forward doesn't hurt their credibility and that they're going to do 10 times the research and verification to, before they present it to the public, like they wouldn't bring Huff's story forward because Huff had already released a lot of the documents on Twitter. They, They have a whole process and I know a lot of whistleblowers that wanted their story to go through project Veritas, but they're, their thoroughness and wanting to bring it to the people first is kind of ends up removing some of those um stories that to go through that um, I guess, avenue of reaching the public. But yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I honestly wouldn't question any of the credibility of the whole package of what was presented by Project Veritas for as far as the doc as documents go.
8: Yeah, DARP is a little crazy. Um, I, I don't remember dark, dark. They, well, they they. Like I'll tell you two projects that I remember got uh, they they were they had underway and then they had to nix them. One of them was in the the mid 2000s or you know I think it was 2011 or something like that. They were trying to uh better predict uh when terrorists would attack and where they would attack. And so they created a betting market so that people could put their money down and it became a pretty good predictor as to where the next the next uh market, you know, where the next terrorist attack would come, but it's also just really bad juju, right? Yeah. Uh, Another one was around the same time they had to get rid of it, which was a theramon bomb, which was, they wanted to, to, you know, when they were taking on uh, militant Islamists uh, in, in, on these, these battlefields that you would, you would toss a theramon bomb and they just, they, they have uncontrollable lust for each other. And then based on their Muslim faith would be so embarrassed about it that they'd leave the, leave the battlefield. And I mean, Really bad juju there. So I, I wouldn't put it past DARPA to, to, to take this on full heart and heavy, but uh, wow, some really, really interesting minds over there.
0: Yeah, supposedly DARPA was um, the program that actually invented the internet is what someone was saying the other day or really how the internet came about was really a DARPA um Program that
8: really launched that. they developed sort of the, the internet protocols um, okay. for you know transfers of these IP addresses and everything else there. So if yeah, I every now and
0: then with all these evil experiences, there's still some good that comes out of it. And is what I'm gathering.
8: <laughs> well, they have their they have their. What's really fun is their annual contest. And I think someone finally won it, which was uh, a over the the New Mexico uh, very rough terrain for I think it's several. Uh, tens of miles or maybe it's nine ten i can't remember but they would have this annual contest where you would build an autonomous vehicle that could make it all the way across and i think uh, in the last few years some people have actually made it through and you know some of that technology has moved on to to lidar technology which is used in uh, autonomous vehicles tesla looked very closely at that too interesting stuff
0: it's fascinating and i know there's a ton
2: of
8: organizations
2: that that do very similar things i mean actually like almost all of them do very similar you know like darpa is defense advanced research something agency p agency um like there's other there are tons of other groups out there that kind of do the same or similar you know space and they're all kind of vying for more government funding or whatever it is and and that's kind of just how they operate they just grow and grow and grow and they never you know, it's all just budgeting and planning exercise for a lot of them.
0: Like Incutel is another one. It's like a farm um, agency for the CIA, where they funnel a lot of things through there. Um, e- one of the things that Andrew Huff did when he was at Eco Health Alliance was put together a presentation for Incutel to pitch, which you can Google it and see what Incutel is about. But they, they're also similar to Metabiota. With what they were wanting to do with their partnership with EcoHealth Alliance, and EcoHealth Alliance ended up partnering with MetaBiota instead of IncuTel, which is really interesting if you know about the MetaBiota <clears throat> connections there.
2: Absolutely, right. um, Neil. Do you want to you want to ask a question? We're going to limit. Um, I think going forward, we're going to limit to one question per person. Um, Lindsay, if that makes sense.
0: It does.
3: Cool. Uh Hi, everybody. Uh, greetings from India. Um, I just wanted to ask three quick questions, if if you'll allow.
2: Go for it. I mean, give give, give us two. Sure. You give got two.
3: It. Yeah, as long yeah. as there's no back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first question was, um, uh, why did the FDA and the WHO did not approve uh, the Indian vaccines, um, two vaccines, one of which was, uh, Covishield, uh, which was just basically AstraZeneca, uh, that we were mass producing. And the second one was Covaxin. Um, even when the results were, um, good initially, the first phase trial and the second phase trial. Um, so that's, that's the first question. The second question is, um, um, do, do the, covid vaccines um, cause calcifications or uh, blockages in the arteries of your heart and um cause heart attacks and the third um qu- question was um regarding the same uh uh, uh covid uh, was that um, are we going to be better prepared in the future for any such diseases um or any such outbreak or pandemic Uh, since we've had, um, since we've never had such a huge outbreak um, in a long, long time?
2: Um, Thank you for that question. I will try and answer the first one. I'm sort of not really joking here. Maybe it's possible that the um, manufacturers in India didn't bribe the WHO officials enough to get their vaccines approved, you know, just a possibility. Um I mean I really don't know. I think it's kind of impossible. You know, if you're not inside of the inside of the meetings where, you know, the discussions are taking place as to, you know, what's actually gonna get recommended, it's not like we can FOIA the WHO because they're not beholden to, you know, any nation as far you know, I don't I don't know what the process is to like get Tejros's emails out, but um if anybody wants to take a stab at that, that's probably worthwhile. Um
0: it's Justin's wheelhouse, I think too.
8: Well Covaxin is I think it's by uh I think it's the what they call it, the Bharat uh, Biotech out of India. Um, one of the challenges is they were really quick to um, trademark, register all that and everything else there. And um, you know, I, I think they're, they're just there's not a ton of financial incentive for uh, groups to mass manufacture something that's uh, not going to give them a cut on those things. Also, I, I can't remember the timeline on the rollout of Covaxin out of India, but by the time you know we hit. Uh, the uh, the Omicron variant, it was very clear to everyone involved that uh, the coronavirus is a slippery bugger and there's no way that they can get, keep up with it as much as they'd like to try. Uh, and, and frankly, when you look at the losses right now, uh, the bivalent vaccine that's out there, the uptake is 30 percent or maybe 30 percent for anyone over 18. The uptake for the EUA-approved Uh, toddler infant vaccine at six months to five years is like less than 10%. (laughs) Curious note there as you drill down on the demographics which you can because the CDC has a weekly survey that they do of people across the country to try to understand who's taking the vaccine and who's not and what their demographics are. Uh, It's like the only people vaccine their small kids are liberal white wealthy women who live in urban centers. I mean, it's, it's almost like a three to one ratio compared to urban, suburban, uh, GOP, uh, strongholds there. So it's, it's terrible that it became so political, but thankfully I, I think the uptake on, uh, the latest shots is very, very low. And so I think there's kind of a cry wolf moment there. Your second or last question there, I think was around the heart attacks. So, uh, look, you know, it's, it's very clear, uh, from, uh, the data that, the AEs are, are pretty robust around, uh, a woman's menstrual cycle, for example. I think actually there was a, a very large study out of India, uh, which, which I think they, they clocked it at something like 12% of, uh, women who took the, uh, the MRA vaccine in, uh, oh, maybe it was Turkey that was done there, but basically it was like 10% had serious menstrual issues that sent them to a doctor's visit. Uh, we also know, for example, that myocarditis in young men is well attested. That's absolutely just attested across the board, and it's just it, it's almost criminal that we're still recommending it for anyone under age thirty. Uh, as far as the heart attacks go, and the clots, and yeah. kind of the died suddenly stuff out there, look, um, you know, there's there's still a lot of there's there's a lot of evidence leaning that way, and frankly, if you're a betting person, it's it's hard you know, with, with all the record of how much they've been wrong on. I wouldn't bet money against it. Uh, I think the evidence Wait. is still getting out there. Lindsay, do you want to go ahead?
0: Uh, real quick, I pinned three things to the top. One's a mental cycle study and the impact of that. The other is um, Pfizer withdrew their application for EUA in India uh, for the COVID vaccine because um, Pfizer wasn't willing to share the records with them to show, to prove the safety and efficacy. They wanted that. So I pinned that. And then the third thing real quick is um, Dr. Peter McCullough is the most published peer-reviewed cardiologist in the world in history. And both he and um, Dr. Seemal Haltra, who's also a cardiologist, happened to say, come to the the same conclusion, that the cardiac events that we're seeing after the mRNA shots are linked to the heart damage that's being caused. And so they both reached the same conclusion saying that that's what it is until it's proven otherwise, until parents come forward or loved ones come forward and say, no, they didn't receive the vaccine. So there's like a mini, um, I made a mini um, movie about this with with them both saying the same thing. They didn't say it. They didn't plan to say it. They just happened to say the same phrase, but that it's until proven otherwise. And Dr. Seymour Haltra, he actually was very pro-vaccine and was going on um, shows like Good Morning Britain and advocating and telling all the reasons why people shouldn't have vaccine hesitancy. And then his own father suffered a cardiac event. He was very healthy and active and fit, suffered a cardiac event and died after shortly after his booster. So then he started to look into the data, and that's when he found all the alarming events um, around this and all the data that was being suppressed and why it was being suppressed. So if anybody wants to um, kind of, watch the little montage that was put together that's pinned up there as well. So farm, if you wanna call in the next speaker.
18: Can I put a question in real quick with the uh, doctor off, please? I don't know how to raise my so, hand. Yeah, really yeah Huff
0: from. So Huff actually isn't isn't here anymore, but um, if you wanna go ahead and ask your question, I might yeah. I may or may not be able to answer it.
18: If there's another doctor in here. Um, so my question is I understand the research on the infection um, but based on the, the historical symptoms with different people, has there been a study on reception?
8: On how it's, how it's transferred or how it's, how it's actually...
18: Well, well, I mean, if you have receptors for the bioweapon or whatever you want to call it, you're going to end up getting pretty sick. But some people have variants in symptoms. Um, for example... I just had a runny nose, a little bit of a sore throat, and was on the couch for about three days. Um, my wife, who refused to take ivermectin, was coughing for 45 days. Didn't take z pack didn't take zinc, didn't take, well, she took C, but her symptoms were different. Um, my aunt and uncle were on the couch calling, saying that they could hardly breathe. I drove an hour... <clears throat> Actually, my my cousin drove an hour uh, with ivermectin to them and saved their lives. So everybody had a different. One guy I know had headaches for two days, and no other symptoms. So reception, I think, plays a big deal. And would that be based on blood type or certain enzymes that are in the bloodstream or proteins? Um, I'm not a, it, a doctor, it, so, <laughs> so I just I'm asking the questions.
8: It's a great question. Uh, one of the, the recent, uh, Pfizer reveals, if you recall, they, they were kind of very, you know, dragging their feet to release all these documents. And so they, they told the judge, we'll tell you what, we'll release like 500 pages a month. And then someone did the calculations and realized that the last document will come out 75 years from now. And that's where you get that 75 years number. So the judge said, no, no, you're producing 100,000 documents a month. Well, the last one came out just Late last week, I think on the fourth. The and one of the things that revealed in there, I think it was this batch was that, uh, just Pfizer just basically admitted we still don't know the mechanism of infection of how it works. We, we, we know the outline of how coronavirus usually works with this spike protein. We kind of know what we were targeting there. We know, you know, we know the genomic sequence on things, but the actual sort of infection. And how that goes, we think it's with the ACT, a, ACE2 receptor and a couple other things there. But it's still, it's, it's there, there's still some mystery. And then why it affects some people some ways, you know, why why did Chris Christie survive this thing before vaccines? And then you have someone who seems relatively healthy, and then they succumb to it in very rare circumstances. Um, usually, I mean, it, it, when when this thing was in alpha stage and delta stage, uh, the ninety six percent. Of all the fatalities had at least six or more comorbidities. And so there's always something usually that attends it. But as far as actual, you know, getting through it and not dying and having some secular that goes with it, uh, as, as I understand it, it's still a bit of a mystery. And that's the, that's the frustrating thing with all this too, is that we've been studying, you know, these viral respiratory pathogens. For a hundred years or more, right, and we still don't quite have a clue. There was, uh, you know, a really interesting fellow. Uh, his his last name was Hope Dash Simpson, and uh, he purported in the fifties he wrote like one of the definitive books on virology. But the the idea is like why why does you know the the flu season start in week thirty nine of the year and end basically around week sixteen of the next year, right, and he has this whole, uh, mechanism where he, he shows by, uh, gradation of, of what latitude you're on, uh, when, when the sun, when the UV rays are high, when they're low, and that seems to predict a lot of seasonality. It's just, it, it, when you look at the 2020 rise and fall of COVID during the summer, uh, the alpha wave and, or was that Delta, but, the, and then you look at the next year in some areas like New York, or Florida or Texas or New Mexico. It's almost a day for day peak. Like it peaked at the exact same day, exact same day on the, all these counties. And the reason was is that there's, there's a seasonal aspect to this thing that still no one quite understands. I don't know that I've ever heard like any major US elected official even refer to it. Uh, it's just a, a it's just a crazy scene. And, and it's, it's really actually very embarrassing that we still don't Lindsay. know a lot of these mechanisms.
2: Lindsay, do you have any speculation on why that might be? Because I've often wondered the same question. Why are all the case counts or, you know, whatever metric is being used, are those even reliable in any sense? I mean, that's sort of.
0: Honestly, it. it's, it's kind of crazy how they, they ebb and flow. But there's something around, which now this is controversial, but that the vaccine's are spewing the new variants. So whenever you release a new booster dose and the new variant is supposedly coming from that, it ends up spurring a whole new outbreak that doesn't really rely on seasons. So, um, you know, everything about this virus right now is so new. There's still so many unknowns that can't really be explained. So um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of piggyback off of what, what Justin said, it's just, it's still, it's still all trying to be figured out, and, and um, I wish Dr. Malone was still in here. He could probably chime in with a little bit more expertise than I can on that, on that front. But I know Real Adam has had his hand up for a while, so do you want to
16: ask a quick question? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Justin. Um, this is my first week on Twitter uh, in my life. Uh, I was banned from LinkedIn uh, for sharing Dr. Malone's material early on. And I wanted to bring back the censorship issue, Um, you know, March of 2020, us free thinkers understood exactly what was going on. Uh, Everyone here understands the the censorship issues, how it relates to our government, and the speakers here have been great. Uh, You know, I mean, my question is, we know what is true now. My question is, like, what do we do from here? Like, how do we continue to band together and how do we fight back? Because, you know, I've got... Yeah, you know, I've got three kids and I don't want them to live in this reality and we need to fix this. And, um, you know, I just joined Twitter as soon as Elon Musk bought it because like what, who, I you mean, know, that was going to be a $54 million purchase that saved the world, but we need to help him. And we need to figure out like, what the heck do we do next to defend ourselves? A lot of this conversation has been too deep in the weeds of COVID this, COVID that we know it was a bioweapon. We know it was launched on, on us. We know all this was intentional, I want to know what I can do. I want to know how I can, how I can help and how I, how I just continue to find the right friends and the right community. So th- that's my question to Justin and Lindsay is how do we, you know, you all are doing a great job, but how do we, how does the average person support this, this, this uh, counter attack?
2: Yeah, I, I have one, Um, you know, and not everyone's going to like it, but um, you know, I've been, I'm going to put some posts together pretty soon Um, on individuals that I think, Like, the answer to your question is we have no Pfizer's, we have no Moderna's, we have no, you know, we don't have big tech money, we don't have all this other all these other things. And I think like, direct targeted financial support to particular people that are working on particular problems is probably part of the answer. Like, I know that there are, you know, independent journalists that could be much more effective, if there was more support. I think that's part of the, you know, that's part of like the nexus, right? Like we don't get advertising dollars when we're working on stuff. We, If we want to run projects, we have to go and get funding for it. And there's people out there that, you know, if they had the ability, if they had the financial ability to do more, um, they would start, you know, either auxiliary movements or, you know, entire, you know, per, per, basically produce um, and content creation and things that actually sway hearts and minds. And effectively, you know, the idea would be, create better propaganda, essentially, that lays out the truth of what's going on. Because, I mean, it is kind of propagandizing um, no matter what way you slice it. And so I think that's a that's a huge thing that people can do. Um, you know, if you're not like directly writing yourself, if you're not actively engaged, if you're not like, you know, talking to the right people or trying to, you know, have have connect connecting people, basically, um, then that's probably what I would say is the next thing. Um, uh, Lindsay, you want to take a stab at it?
0: Sure. I think that the most powerful thing we have is Twitter now would be able to share information. It's not censored. Everything is going to be censored on any meta platform for Instagram or Facebook and the weird censorship that also occurs on LinkedIn. I mean, having these conversations, talking to people and having them come on to platforms that, um, allow the free sharing of information is going to be the most transformative thing that we have right now. Um, At our fingertips. And so, so many people are just completely unaware of the dangers um, um, around these products completely because everything has been censored and they're not, they're not on Twitter. They're not looking for it unless you're like you purposely go out and look for this. You, you, most people don't know. I I can't tell you how many people in my um, former life is what I call it because I left everything behind to um, try to share information and create content that would not be censored and try to sound the alarm to um help save lives because it's just, um it's outrageous what's, what's happening and it's outrageous how many people don't know. Cause you think, would think that as many tragedies have occurred, they'd be on the news, but not a single vaccine injury has ever aired on TV. So it's, it's really unfortunate, but I think the best thing anybody can do is, to do what they can to share these stories and share the information and share the studies and explain what's going on. And then that is our power. And then supporting whistleblowers that come forward. The biggest whistleblower um, case in the world and history is Brooke Jackson, who's a director of the clinical um, Pfizer's clinical trial sites um, for three of them. And she witnessed an egregious amount of fraud and, and blew the whistle and came forward and her case is um, pending right now in the federal court in East Texas. So her case is she brought it on behalf of the entire United States government um, for Pfizer defrauding the American people by uh, misleading their data and misleading the safetyness and the effectiveness of these products. And so if it, if she wins and it goes all the way to the end, um, they're they're gonna keep fighting even if this doesn't go this way in this courtroom. There's also the um, grand jury that was brought forward by governor DeSantis in Florida. He can do it at a state level as well. So everyone's attacking this on multiple fronts um, and there's a lot of cases going on right now to try to prevent this from happening again. So I think just doing what you can to support these people that are putting everything, putting their lives on the line to do this is key and if Brooke wins our case, it'll be a two. I think they're going to end up being a two point nine trillion dollar. Um, I guess settlement is is settlement from, the right yeah. term, right? And so that that's she's going to turn that over to the the vaccine injured if she if she wins. So um, let's hope that these cases play out. And um, you know, I think that if they do go to court all the way and discoveries allowed, people like Borla and other. Nefarious actors that have been involved will have to take the stand and answer some tough questions. So I look forward to, to that day. But I'll tell you, um,
8: there is, um, there is one thing that's so a couple things that have happened. Uh, just the other day, uh, when the new Congress took over, they took down all the security barriers around Capitol Hill to date over the last two years since September, January 6, Uh, it has been impossible to go and just go press the flesh with your congressman's office, their staff, the, your, you know, congresswoman herself, uh going to a senator's office has been verboten unless you were expressly invited. Uh and that's really put a halt to one of the things that uh, that we were trying to do but couldn't do until this happened, which was do these fly-ins. Um we started a a uh, a super PAC called Posterity PAC. And one of the the main goals we have is to as, as you said we we want to make sure we can get stuff in place so this never happens again taking a page from for example Governor DeSantis in Florida where he put together a very quick um, patients Bill of rights um, one of the the things we talked about in uh, is the the death of of people who never got to see their loved ones right and said goodbye on a on a on a Facetime call and that's unacceptable we need some federal legislation in place so what we're going to do probably at the end of March, uh, and I, I, we're just trying to figure this out, we, we did a big conference here in San Diego. We've been working with Brownstone and Jeffrey Tucker, had a conference in Miami. But we want to, we want to kind of put the conferences aside, and we're going to invite people just to come to D.C. and do, do, the, do the Capitol Hill run the right way, which is the, the barriers are down. We will set up actual individual appointments uh, based on, you know, where people are, who their congressional leaders are. And hopefully we can have, you know, some legislation that's on the house side, uh, or something that's being pursued either on committee or something that we can actually go and, um, you know, show these people. Cause they, that, that is a way that, um, that, that these our elected officials really do listen when they have constituents come to town, come into their office very peaceably. And, uh, you know, convey what they want done. They take, they take strong note of that Republican, Democrat, or otherwise. And, uh, you know, that, that's sort of our, our short-term goal. I'll be honest. Um, I, I wrote, uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal and this, it pained me, um, to say this, but I, I said, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was a big supporter of President Trump, but on that fateful day, March 29th, 2020, when he extended the lockdowns for another 40 days, uh, I tweeted out he just lost the election. I was really sad to be proven right on that regardless of how you feel about the election. And, but I, I just knew demographically even if one or two or three percent of the elderly population decided they were staying home and they didn't want to vote or otherwise, he was going to lose. Uh, obviously shenanigans with some of 2020 stuff, but in the end, I'm disappointed, especially um, – and my, my op-ed was basically – because of his attitude right now towards the lockdowns and how he doesn't mention them. He doesn't really talk about them. Um, I, I don't feel like he deserves an, uh, another term. Uh, and if DeSantis gets into this, uh, the, uh, the fight, I'll, I'll be backing him because he's a person who knows and articulates this. Unfortunately, on that fateful day, March 29th, President Trump unleashed Pandora's box and it gave authority to 50 governors to 32 unelected, 3200 unelected county health directors to 13,000 school districts to do whatever the hell they wanted when it came to these policies. And you couldn't say nay. And to put all that back in the box, it's going to take some concerted effort. We'll make some progress over these next two years. But in truth, it's going to take someone at the very top to topple the CDC, topple the FDA, and start implementing some of these things like a patient's bill of rights. So that's my take. I know it's a little controversial, <laughs> but uh, there will be some, some opportunities coming up and uh, I hope to, to keep you guys informed on that, where we'll actually have the opportunity to do the right type of get to Capitol Hill and convince your leaders that something amiss happened and we need to fix it. All oh, that's all I'll say. I know
0: Emma, you had a, a question? Something you want to jump in and
13: say real quick? um No, I, d- I just wanted to point out a couple things. So, for as people were talking about how can we get you know this information out to the broader public, um there's there's a video that I posted in the nest um, that Ron Johnson held with uh, Peter McCullough, uh, you know Malone. Yeah, I
0: was I was there for that in DC. Oh
13: yeah, so that was amazing. That was amazing. I mean, I, I think. It was. I think you would have to be almost schizophrenic if you were, you know, a, a person who thought that this was safe and was still convincing yourself after watching that, that, that it was safe. Right. It's like, it's hard to get you to, it's hard to, for me to get other people to watch long videos, but given the people who are listening here, it's worthwhile. It's worth your time. Um, it, I mean, it's incredible. So, so I just wanted to note that. And then um, there's also, uh, I also posted one from Citizen Free Press, which was also same day, you, said, you, you remember, um, about the use of remdesivir and its damages on the kidneys. Um, yep. Yeah, so that's all.
0: There's a short version. So organization that um, I'm with, we made a um, short version of Senator Ron Johnson's uh, hearing. It's like a 25 minute Uh, version of it versus I think it's like three and a half hours if you watch the whole thing. So I can, I'll dig that up and and pin it to the top because I know the very first time I saw one of Senator Ron Johnson's hearings was the January 24th, 2022 one. And I know the date because it changed my life. Like I just could not believe hearing these people. And then I wanted to share it in Twitter at the time, even censored Senator Ron Johnson. They put a label on his own congressional Senate hearing. With all these people there under oath telling their stories from experts and vaccine injured people, uh, Facebook and Instagram both suppressed, suppressed it and censored it as well, where it didn't get, it just completely de- deamplified it. And this is someone who is <laughs> a, a senator to, to censor a senator on social media platforms. It just blows my mind, but it also goes to show the people and power aren't. It's not really our, our government. It's the lobbyists and the pharmaceutical companies that are really running the show and pulling the strings. So um, thank you for sharing that and bringing that up. It's a really good point. How would
13: you find I know the, that... the the shorter version? Sorry, real quick.
0: Um, I, I'll pin it up at oh. the top. I think I shared it on the Defeat the Mandates oh. account. So I will um, I'll pull that. I, I can look at it. Okay. Yeah. So... Thanks yeah i'll I'll pull it up and and share it at the top as well so um Nick, I know you have been waiting for a while if you want to ask your question real quick
2: Nick, are you there? <laughs> yeah, Nick, you're muted. um if anyone could raise their hand if they want to ask a question um we'll we'll bump you up. Anybody there?
0: okay, I just moved it looks like soma. I
2: oh, know S- Samar- Samaritan, Samaritan
0: project. project.
2: Okay. Got <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Do you have a question?
0: Uh, yes. Superman
12: yes. <laughs> sorry about that. I didn't know you were going to skip around. I thought I would have to have put my hand up. I'm sorry about that. Um, I have a not question per se, but I want to like give like counter narrative and balancing all that stuff. So basically, for me I'll, I'll ask my questions on the back end um the word propaganda i believe is destructive in order to carry out a good narrative because if you're trying to put your own counter propaganda out there it's does the absolutely opposite of what you're trying to do you want to basically say no propaganda in any of what you're trying to share with the general public. Because propaganda is destructive. It won't ca- carry out what the balance it needs. So what you want to do, you want to tell your story without using propagandized language. So I'll now ask my questions. Um, basically, I asked uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb questions today, saying, what is... Uh, let me get to them. They're going to be my Twitter thread. One second. It'll be very informative. Give me one second. I'll find them real quick. Give me a
9: second.
0: Okay, while you look for those, I'm going to go ahead and call on Divergent Squirrel, and we'll come back to you in just a few minutes, give you some time to pull those up. Okay, I I would love to hear from the squirrel. Hey, oh. what's
14: up, guys? <laughs> I'm not really a squirrel. Do you work um, on a
2: farm? <laughs> I used to work on a farm. Why do I sound country? No, you're a squirrel. We have a whole we have a whole pet section. We have like a fox, a vigilant fox, and I've got squirrels coyote. I
14: try to chase out of my yard.
0: Okay, so what's your I'm, question? Um, I'm, well, I'm just worried about ADD. The whole squirrel ADD thing might that's might the whole
14: point of it. Divergent <laughs> squirrel, right? I'm autistic, so kind of get kind of going down rabbit hole sometimes but um anyways uh i've got two kids uh i've went through a lot of hell with this whole vaccine and um the mask situation uh they i mean i'm separated and so um i don't know what you would call me i'm i guess a libertarian conservative um my my ex lives in johnson county kansas one of the richest counties in the nation and it's liberal as hell and uh they i I, they fought tooth and nail they 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 took the kids out of school and everything uh decided that our uh uh, that we had to do homeschool and everything well then i couldn't see my kids and i had to take them to court wasn't able to go to take the kids to court or the uh, my ex to court and everything to to be able to see my kids or have them during school or whatnot and uh they were or when they finally went back to school, they were forcing them to wear masks and whatnot. And, you know, that's I mean, a big issue with me with uh, sensory issues and being autistic. My kids kind of the same way. And so I guess my my biggest uh, my concern is is um, I know that people are talking about like what we need to do now and everything. I think the biggest issue is to, to uh, I mean, it's going to be a long term thing and we're going to have to kind of um, teach our kids to critically think because we're I mean, obviously, as a society have acted like total fools. And I mean, we made stupid decisions. And I mean, whether then take the vaccine or put on a mask or stay at home and everything. Listen to a bunch of idiots. We needed to think for ourselves, and we weren't doing that. And that's what we kind of need to teach our kids. Um, but uh, the I guess uh, is the, the in 1976, a similar thing kind of happened. It was was anybody aware of this? The 1976 swine flu um, epidemic. I mean, it was uh, uh, like it mirrors this almost identically. So, I mean, I I just everybody's kind of sitting here like, oh, what are we going to do now and everything? I mean, literally, it's 40 years. And so or 50 or I don't know. I ain't doing the math, but it's been a long damn time. You would think somebody would have thought, hey, this this looks awful lot like 1976.
2: Um. Justin, you want to you want to answer that? Well, I mean, you look. Cool.
8: History repeats itself. I'm I'm just posting here to the to the group a uh, uh, op-ed I had for Newsweek um, a few weeks ago, which was we've we've failed to learn from past pandemics, and our posterity deserve better. Um, one of the things that is interesting is that there, there was like a headline. Get, get this headline. This is from a Santa Barbara newspaper. It said uh, masks are the chief ally of the disease and people don't know how to take care of them and they become a veritable incubator of bacteria and that was written in 1918 <laughs> and um we you could even go back 400 years to the real plague in milan italy and uh how the some authors back then talked about how the disease upset the mind of the people more than the disease really affected them physically it was a uh, it, it's it's something about the human nature that just Gets us in there. Uh, here, here's a quote. You decide, and uh, this is from, you decide whether this was from 2020 or from 1918. A week ago, I laughed at the idea of the mask. This is written in the San Francisco Chronicle. I did not realize that the cost of such independence was the life of others, wrote one doctor. I wish I had the military authority to make everyone wear a mask so that the disease would be stamped out. It's not 2020; it's 1918. So these things keep coming up, and so part of it is we need to get some 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 triggers, some gates, some stop gaps that we can deal with this right. Uh, so in Florida, for example, uh, Governor DeSantis allowed individual counties to declare an emergency, a health emergency, but I think it's only good for like seven to fourteen days, and then it has to go for approval at a higher level, right? like here in san diego we and i think a lot of people experience this was this this terrible hot potato moment right and and we you'd see it again and again where you'd go to the county you go why are my kids being quarantined for 10 days at home for the slightest exposure to a positive case and my kids have no no symptoms whatsoever and they go i can't really tell you that that's the state decides that. So you go to the state and you ask them the same question they go, "Look, the county has total authority over this." And you go to the county and the county says, "Well, that's the recommendation from the CDC." And that game will play on again and again. So like when the FDA and the panel that approves all of the child vaccine schedule says, "Look, we're not we're not mandating anything, right?" But you go down to the county level, they'll start throwing that into the calendar for sure. And then they'll just say, "Well, it's the recommendation of the FDA." And so we, we have to put some things in place that can trigger gates that control this mechanism. Because uh, like I said, a lot of people look at this in the, it's in the, the rear view mirror, but all those policies are still there. And, and frankly, uh, as, as I wrote, like right before the election, it's the reason why the Republicans lost the election because 17 states still had plenty of COVID era type of policies for voting. And I don't know though those are going away, so we either gotta you know you gotta shape up or, or whatever else. But COVID, I mean, in truth, COVID killed the red wave. It killed the red wave, and, and there were there are so many instances where this this could easily bring it up. In fact, my my good friend uh, Josh Stevenson, who is uh, if I had a stick on Twitter, I'll have his handle there. He's he he has the data showing that there are still a lot of schools that are you know mandating masks even now. Justin, that uh, was a
2: great that was a great segue. I added uh, Jordan
8: um, from dossier. He
2: writes dossier as Jordan. Dossier as Jordan Hi, Jordan. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan can <laughs> you you want to take the mic? I mean, you you I saw your your piece earlier about the WEF members list, and uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of that's kind of where where this is going. It's like it's top down, supranational driven. It's not like you know, in any individual. I mean, it is in part the individual states, but it's also You know, internationally, there's very strange things going on at the same time. Um, Jordan, you want to go ahead and and discuss that a little bit?
6: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. And I'm open to any questions, too. But um, yeah, you know, in the last month or so, I've been reporting a lot on the World Economic Forum because they have their Davos conference coming up um, from Sunday to Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe. And this is where they kind of like do an in-person um, brainstorming and policy advancing session. And it's all the major players, all of the you know ruling global elites and all the, and you know basically everything that Justin was talking about in terms of forming policy. Um, this is where it really happens. and, and I think that there's a huge um, gap of quality, um, independent reporting on this issue in the corporate press, and one of the reasons why is because the corporate press is invited to Davos. Whether it's the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, uh, you know, the media, all the media networks go. And when you have privileges to be inside of that circle, you can't really report objectively on it. So, um, you know, while all of us are kind of on the outside, and there's this big group on the inside. That won't let us in. I, th- I think it's an, an extremely important issue, and um, I think on on the bright side of things, what I've seen in really um, writing and talking about this issue for a couple of years is that there's so much more attention paid to this idea that there's this um, there's legitimately a, a global ruling class with very much the same ideas. You know, we saw this with the COVID policies. It wasn't just um the united states that was implementing this craziness so it was basically 180 plus countries and they were all taking direction from the same you know international uh, global uh, policy public health behemoths and it's just a really we live in a world where power is extremely centralized into the hands of few um and i think that the 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 red pill or the white pill moment is that so many more people realize that now than they did before in 2019 where we were kind of just all living in this in this simulation or matrix or whatever analogy you want to use and then like all this crazy stuff started, ha- started happening and I, I think that's very much backfiring and you know that's what i'm trying to show um in my reporting in the dossier, but. Yeah, um, you know, happy. Thanks for having me on. And you know, I, I appreciate all of you.
8: Hey, Jordan, let me ask you. So Jordan and I have been corresponding for over two years now and Jordan could be reliably, um, counted on to go down any rabbit hole. And I remember early on, I told him, I said, I think there's something about these ventilators. And the next thing I look up, he's down like, he's got like three articles on it. He's just going after it. Right. Now let me ask you about this because you're all over Davos now, and you and I were were DMing yesterday about the people that are going. You mentioned Kemp is going now. I'm like, oh boy, that's interesting. But let me, you know, there's there's different theories as to what happened here. Some of them go as far as to say this was all planned, and this is all just you know worked by some master type of puppeteer. Uh, Some on the other side of the spectrum is this is just all ineptitude, and then somewhere in between, it's like, well. Someone's just taking advantage of us and taking advantage of the moment. Where do you kind of lie on things now, having done all your research? Is this a master plan on one side of the spectrum, or is it just ineptitude, or is there something something sort of in between? What do you What do you take?
6: You've hit on a very important uh, area of inquiry, and my best answer is that I. Don't know, and when we—I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, we don't have any answers to any of the big questions involving these uh, three years worth of COVID hysteria. That's what I find so incredible. Like, where did this virus come from? Who was responsible? Did it leak out of a lab? Um, it, it, there's just so there's there there's so many evidence trails that we can potentially investigate, and the people who have the power to see that through, have not uh, taken that campaign up. Um, You know, there's obviously a new Republican Congress, and they're making a lot of promises about things. You know, I'm, I'm in contact with some D.C. offices, and some I think are genuinely interested, for sure. Like, Ron Johnson's office is very serious about this stuff. But we don't have any answers to any of the big questions. And there's a lot of weird stuff that happened. Um, you know, you, you going several years back before COVID, um, you have all these oddly timed coincidences, one of them being the, you know, the Chinese government uploading this gene sequence of of the coronavirus. And next thing you know, we have uh, pharmaceutical companies working on vaccines before anyone has really been impacted. And then you have like the Gates Network that's so completely invest in, invested in this they had like pre-IPO equity investments in these mRNA companies and next thing you know 3 months later you know they're profiting billions of dollars so it, it's just like there's all these strangely timed coincidences where if you're using like a an objective approach it doesn't make sense that this was just like some type of spontaneous viral eruption There appears my view is that there appears to be a lot of people who were who if you were to hook them up to some kind of truth serum that you would find out some amazing things that we don't know. So I I think that like that's why I I think journalism is so important in this age, especially about this um, specific issue is that there's still so much we don't know. And we've obviously been lied to about a million different things, but but we need to get started asking and getting answers to these gigantic fundamental questions
2: to piggyback off that. I mean, in the context of the greater theft that's going on, the like massive scale of pickpocketing that's happening to everyone, if you just look at the federal agency responsible for the regulatory oversight of a given industry and then invert what you think they might be doing to, you know, benefit average people on an everyday basis right whether it's like energy and then you have like you know the the department of energy and look who was running you know look who was running part of that that you had the guy stealing women's luggage and then you have um the fcc in the in the context of like verizon right Who's like headed up by an ex-verizon guy and then you have scott you know you have gottlieb who's you know that's an obvious conflict of interest on the health side But it just like continues going on downhill from there and it just becomes this snowball of the regulatory agencies that you think would be responsible or the intelligence agencies that you think would be responsible for either providing some sort of benefit to society or causing a harm to it. And then in the same way, like that they're all interconnected at the hip where you have Dajek and you have the CIA and you have EcoHealth Alliance. And then you have the FDA and the C D C kind of not even on the other side of the coin. They're all just like one it's like I don't know, it whack-a-mole is kinda of silly. It's just like they're all in on something and it's so vast and the scale is so hard to fathom and people don't want to really you know, it's very difficult to find either journalists or researchers or um, you know, political moonshine is somebody who's really gone pretty deep on a lot of these different areas. Um, if you've seen his work before. Um And just it's it's all enterprise fraud. And the scale is so big and so vast that it's like if you try to have a conversation about it, you know, with with people who aren't like kind of fully immersed as we are, it you just sound kind of crazy because, you you know, the assumption would be that the FDA or the CDC would be there to help, you know, with oversight of these industries or drugs or pharmaceutical, whatever it is. But they're not there to do that. They're captured and they're beholden to the interest themselves and in and often they are the interest themselves where you have like, you know, uh that that meme that was like the Gottlieb on one side and he's Pfizer and Gottlieb on the other and he's like working at the regulator. So it's like that everywhere. And that's why it's very difficult to get to the bottom of anything because, you know, if you and then you apply that to the the banking sector and the Federal Reserve and all the banks that are, you know, members to the Federal Reserve, it just goes on and on. And so they've got control of you know, if you just go sector by sector, I challenge anyone to find me a sector where I can't find some sort of hijinks going on and some sort of pickpocketing or theft. Um, I'm going to stop there, but that's my that's my general thinking. So I, I think it is. It's part of a massive, larger coordinated scam, but it's only one. We're kind of zoomed in on one element of the larger, massive scam that's going on. And I just, yeah, you know, go
8: ahead.
0: I just pinned something up at the top. It's the Weber Shandwick is the name of the PR company, Paul Thacker Uncovered, uh, that is not only repping the big pharma companies, both Pfizer and Moderna, but they also had offices set up within the CDC and FDA. So as, as many people know, whenever you are supposed to, supposedly a competitor in the competitive market space, you're not going to hire the same PR firm as your competitor, But this, for some reason, um, you know, it's kind of a unique situation where the oversight is in bed with the same people that are promoting the vaccines for Moderna and Pfizer. And now Weber Shanwick is also working with these board certification um, organizations that are going after the likes of like Dr. Peter McCullough. Weber Shanwick is behind that whole thing. So it's all very incestuous and all very connected, and it's it's dark and seedy, and it's like the, this, this story is huge when it broke because it, it's the, the string that connects everybody together to show that they're all in bed together. But Jordan, I know you can probably add more on that as well.
6: Yeah, I think the farm briefly mentioned um, these are a lot of good points, uh, specifically related to the U.S. relationship with China, and, and I think that, you know, my background's in foreign policy. And one of the a lot of people have this fundamental um, wrong impression about how our um, ruling party uh, has diplomatic relations with China. And you're seeing all this stuff in the press that seems to be uh, very antagonistic about, you know, some type of like ideological struggle um, you have like these TikTok bans that seem to be bipartisan, uh, have bipartisan support in Congress. But I think the reality of it is when you dig down deep enough, is that the Biden administration and its allies, um, they view China as a competitor, but it's not the issue isn't ideological. The issue is that the U.S. does not control china that our uniparty does not control china they actually uh, as you saw with the three years of COVID hysteria they endorsed every single policy coming out of china where you have this like um somewhat fascistic um the communist party in china i think is much more fascist or feudalist than it is communist and i, I think that our regime is basically trying to copy that approach and the thing that they most they dislike most about China, really, in my view, is just that they can't control China. I mean, I, I think that China is certainly uh, more egregious in terms of the human rights violations because they can they can get away with more. But the idea that like our uh, the people in charge of our country are somehow the antithesis, like they, they stand for freedom. Um, I think the past few years has shown that that is that is a laughable uh, assertion to make. So I think it's just really important for people to understand that that's that's kind of how it goes. And it and it um it definitely impacts the discussion about Chinese U.S. relations regarding government health agencies in the Wuhan lab. I mean, um you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of I'm friendly with a lot of scientists at the National Institutes of Health. And, like, if you just go over there, you'll find that most of the labs there are filled with uh, Chinese national postdocs. So it's not like they're, like, not being invited and there's some kind of, like, grand, uh, fierce competition going on. Like, it's very much a collaborative environment. And and I think that they are ideological, almost ideological allies, the U.S. and and the the Biden administration, its allies, and the CCP. And it's only just you know, they're, they're two players fighting on a chessboard. And, uh, you know, the Biden administration wants to control the the black pieces uh, that is China and China wants to control the white pieces that is the Biden administration. But they both really fundamentally agree on the same things. I don't know if it was Mises or Rothbard who said, like, basically that uh, nobody gets the government that they deserve. But that's that's very much in play, you know, today in 2023.
2: I mean, interestingly, like, you know, you mentioned the feudalism and sort of you know, how they're a little fascist in a way, you know, and they like sort of hybridize all the worst elements of tyrannical dictatorships that exist, you know, like they're mercantilist also, because they're doing this Belt and Road thing, and they're just like going out and the debt, the debt trap diplomacy stuff. And so they've like, somehow, the Chinese elites have done a, you know, obviously, in third world, they've done a better job at you know, corrupting people than even the CIA has been able to do recently. That's why there's, you know, so many in the Middle East as well. I mean, they, you know, they have like the organ trade going on where, you know, Middle Easterners will go to the CCP to get, you know, organ donations um, from involuntary prisoners of conscience. And like, there's all the worst elements of every type of horrible, like, governance structure that has ever existed. And they've just like made one mess out of it and they've called it you know, communism or socialism with Chinese characteristics or whatever, you know, and they just, everyone just makes up names for this stuff. I mean, and it's not, it's not to say that like, because you get a lot of different opinions on it, right? Like the U S is also kind of an empire and we have our own kind of flaws and everything, but you know, for what it's worth, I mean, they're, they're definitely pretty bad over there. I mean, if you kind of like just look at it from the elite perspective, I mean, like you said, they're all going to the same, the elite, and the children of the elite in the U.S. and China, they're going to the same schools, they're in the same postdoc studies, they're getting jobs at the same employers. So for all intents and purposes, when they travel freely back and forth between the U.S. and China, they kind of have an unwritten set of rules that they follow and sort of like what they're supposed to be doing and thinking and how they're supposed to be thinking. And it doesn't align with anything that's going on in this room right now, I can just tell you that much. You You
8: know, there's this evolution that you see in individual characters over the years, right? Like if you go to some of the early writings of, 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 uh, of Klaus Schwab, right? You can see the germinations of what is eat crickets, share a bike with three other families. Don't get successful. You'll be happy and live, uh, you know, with no, and you won't be farting or taking in any cows anytime soon, right? <laughs> the crazy stuff that's out there. But then you also see it in these key players like Dr. Fauci over the years. So, uh, I keep uh, I keep pressing Jordan on this. I don't know if he's had any luck. I've tried a couple times. There's a guy named David Morens who has co-authored almost every piece that Dr. Fauci has put out there over the last two decades. And uh, in particular, he, you can see their, their evolution of thought because they start in like 2000 and then 2009, and they have another article every few years. And each time you can see their frustration about not being able to stop and put a dam against these viral pathogens that keep popping up, right? The H1N1 and everything else that's coming here. Why can't we stop these? And then, you know, COVID hits, and they just let it all fly loose. So there's this very key article that Marenz and Fauci pen for Cell Magazine in September 2020, I think it was. And it's actually a really informative article as far as, like, the history of pathogens and everything else. They're pretty uh pretty detailed, and uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that's from and not Fauci. But then Fauci takes over, and he gets he talks about how you know this is the moment that we have to change everything, right? And he says, uh, I wish we could go back to ancient times, and he laments all of the sports arenas and all of the different places where we congregate in this modern society. And he and he says, and I'm quoting for he says, since we cannot return to ancient times. Can we at least use the lessons of those times to bend modernity in a safer direction? And that's his whole thing. He, he, He literally thinks he's God and he can bend modernity. He goes on, he says, living in greater harmony with nature will require changes in human behavior, as well as other radical changes that may take decades to achieve, rebuilding the infrastructures of human existence. From cities to homes to workplaces, this is going to take time. Basically, it's a transformation, and he's all on board. And you can see him; he's he's completely there. I don't know if it's just old age. He says, "Throw caution to the wind." I'm going to say the quiet part out loud that I've been hiding behind you, and you see that again and again in these key people. I mean, that's why Doctor Fauci is such a uh, you know such an interesting character. Is that he he's he's so he has so much hubris. And it's all right here in his writings. He really does. He, he's on board with that whole Davos scene. It's amazing. It's going to be um, quite the extraordinary thing to, to pull this out of people because they're saying that they're saying the quiet parts out loud now.
0: You know, Poso went to Davos last year. I hate that he's not in here, so we can ask him about it. Farm, do you know if he's going back again next week?
2: Um, I can't confirm nor deny that. <laughs> and I honestly don't know the answer. Get those cameras out. I honestly don't know the answer. That's yeah, a great was, question. I, I know somebody got... else who's going, though. I, I know somebody who's actually probably on the plane over there right now. I don't know what time it is. And you can't disclose. Um, I will key you guys all in. So Make sure they get
8: Jordan's, Jordan's substack there. He's got the entire list on a PDF, which is awesome.
2: I will send that right now. So there's a Japanese journalist um, named Masako Ganaha. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but she's on her way there. Um, I will send you her social media maybe you can put it in the uh
15: yeah
0: if it's in a tweet um jordan i'm really surprised that you have not broken any of the twitter files are you trying to get in there to cover some of those i really think that your reporting would be amazing on that
6: yeah i I will refrain from uh, further comments
8: (laughs) tell us how you really
6: (laughs) feel jordan (laughs) But, but i think that um
16: I can see uh, you I,
0: seething when Berenson dropped his last one. Maybe it was the time of the tweets.
6: <laughs> I, I think that what is needed is more people need to be on this project. There's only so much one man can do. So uh, I think that this needs to be um, an effort, especially an effort that includes people who come from outside of the traditional corporate media, people who are very well-versed with open source research. Um, a lot of these Anons on Twitter, you know, were the ones who broke open the Russiagate stuff. So um, I'd like to see Elon invite some of these Anons or, or some people that have this um, encyclopedic knowledge of, like a guy like Justin basically knows everything that happened with every policy over the last three years. And, and with this kind of stuff... Um, it it definitely i think requires a team so what i'd like to see is um i, I definitely i am not really wanting to go to san francisco because you know i don't want to step on like some type of needle or something but <laughs> I, I think that um i think you definitely need a team you need a, you need a dozen people pouring over files there um and what i would say to the the twitter community here is that, yes, Elon Musk has been terrific in opening up his office to to scrutiny and everything, but he needs also, you know, he's a human being, and I think it's important to hold him accountable. You know, he said that he was going to release these Fauci files, and he had all this stuff on Fauci. And then you have um, Berenson says on, I think he said on Twitter yesterday, he's like, yeah, you know, I got this thing, but, uh, you know, we're still looking through it, and like, give me a couple of weeks. Like, that's not what Elon Musk said, what, what, what was going on there. So it, it's just like, a, it's a little weird to me. Um, I, I'd like to see uh, Elon um, stay true to his word and to con- continue to invite maybe, maybe outsiders, uh, especially, who have proven um, research abilities, who have broken a lot of interesting stories, just through uh, hard work. Um, you know, scanning the open internet. I think they do a great job with these files, and they'd they uh, unveil a lot of fascinating things. And when, especially like these anons, uh, they don't have any real conflicts of interest. So I, I think it would be great to um, to for Elon to expand the pool, uh, invite a lot more people, and you know, I, I could give him a list of uh, forty, fifty people who are all excellent and would be able to dig into these Fauci files. I don't think that it's a one man job.
0: I completely agree i did talk to paul thacker about this the other day he's i'm sure you know who paul is but he did the um the bmj investigation into um the pfizer whistleblowers fraud claims on her trial and broke that story it was like the most viewed um investigative story out of all of 2022 it's like oh, like I can't remember how many million views it it got, but even with suppression, it still ended up being the the most read story out of all peer-reviewed journals, I believe, last year. So I can find that and pin it. But um, I know we have a hand raised down here, so I was going to see if you wanted to ask your question. I will not try to pronounce your name. I don't want to get it wrong, but your handle looks like Zoe (laughs) Hi there.
15: Hope everyone's doing well tonight. So I have a quick question that hopefully uh, could be answered. Uh, I know that some of the doctors left already, but I was wondering if any one of you could elaborate on the nanotech that was discovered within um, a few of the vac well, in the, M- M- the R- mRNA vaccines. And I was wondering if you uh, would be able to elaborate on the uh, capabilities of that nanotech or its limitations. And also, if there's any known way of reversing any um, side effects from the uh, vaccines.
0: Justin, do you want to take this one? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll
8: take a stab at this only because I went down that rabbit hole myself one time, just just for curiosity's sake, trying to understand what I was looking at there. So, first of all, there's the, the delivery package of the mRNA vaccines. is These are encapsulated in NLPs, which are Uh, uh, lipo nanoparticles. I'm I'm getting my names all mixed up because it's late, or it's getting late for me because I know the kids will be up at six. But um, when it when it comes to the extreme, uh, sort of spectrum of what people think is going to happen, right? I'll I'll just tell you this is the theory that's out there, and it, it is very much unsupported. But it's interesting, and it's it's actually great parlor discussion, which is to say that. It is supposed that there are elements of other diseases that are baked into the MRA vaccine and that these particularly deliver- delivery mechanisms, the LNPs, contain a high degree of graphene. And there is lots of literature on how you can use uh, remote technology, and this is all over the NIH website, uh, to take graphene and uh, on a on a nano basis, be able to build different particulars, right? And, and there was uh, someone who had taken the vaccine and put it under a microscope,
15: Dr. and was seeing
8: that. yeah, and was seeing things like these structures that looked like chips, right? That were in there.
0: He's never and, seen those. I'll, I'll clarify. He never he looked and and under the microscope at multiple okay. vials, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure about this yeah. He, and so it, did, it, it was that.
8: that was what was reported that was what was sort of posted on rumble was this big sort of effort there and to take it, the theory a next level, this is like tin of hat stuff, but there are people that spend their entire days doing this. And just so you're aware of it, what they believe is that the 5g technology and the recent rollout of the cell network here is going to activate those mechanisms at a certain frequency in Hertz, which will then release that into the body and it will, it will start uh, a chain reaction that will cause one of the um, – I guess they, they they believe that it's one of the top AEs that was documented by Pfizer or Moderna, uh, which will be a specific disease that uh, really damages your frontal lobe. So the idea is the vaccine is going to be activated by a cell network and turn us all into zombies. <laughs> so that's that's the far-fetched piece there. The stuff that's very real is that <laughs> it's it's very possible – that these lnp you know delivery systems these uh, liquid nanoparticles uh will have actually are, are are part of the problem that are causing these um adverse reactions it's, it's that's, that's there's well attested information there so in the pfizer trials for example or in some of the documents that have been released recently it was shown that pfizer could not account for 50% of those LMPs that they injected into a person's body. Um, and we're talking like billions of these particles that would go throughout your body there. There is also, um, based on evidence from uh, a great researcher named Jean Reese, who was scared off of Twitter, um, but she talks about, for example, a lot of the Pfizer documentation showing what they call immune complexes. That is to say, if a, particularly a young child, has already been through uh, the disease and has a replete robustness of antibodies and, um, other elements that are going to help them defend against it. And you give them an injection. There's kind of this, this overloading tilt system and the, the Pfizer trials of these, uh, the younger cohort, I think the 12 to 18, uh, demonstrated like significant joint pain, high fevers, um, all these things that you see in immune complexes. And then the latest evidence comes from someone that uh, I've gotten to know, uh, her name is Christy Grace. I got her here. Heart. I think yeah. her handle is, uh, heart of grace.
0: Oh, yeah.
8: Yeah. So- and, and she's, you know, a very legitimate credentialed, um, uh, biologist who, who, who does a lot of this stuff. And she's gone through and, and demonstrated some of the literature out there that if you do not keep this vaccine at a particular sub zero, um, temperature, there can be serious complications. So I, I will say at the very least, there is very distinct and replete evidence that the LNPs themselves, the delivery mechanism of the mRNA vaccine, could be causing a lot of problems. The rest of it is just crazy stuff, but um, it's, it's fun to talk about sometimes.
0: Okay, Chris, I'm going to pull you up to the state. Do you have a quick question?
2: Chris, you there?
0: You're muted, Chris.
19: <laughs> I am here. Can you hear me? Yes. You,
15: yep. You're up, You have a question.
19: Uh, okay. Well, I, I actually wrote down a few things I, I wanted to comment on, and, and maybe the most interesting was somebody mentioned the 1976 swine flu, and that there was uh, three years later, 79, 60 Minutes, did a... Uh, a segment on people that were trying to get financial compensation from the government. And as part of that, Mike Wallace interviewed the, I guess it was the CDC director or the former CDC director. And everybody really needs to go back and watch that video because it shows you what the mainstream news media should be doing and should have been doing all along with these uh, Corona vaccines. It's, it's absolutely incredible to see it and then compare it to what's happening today where even if somebody drops dead on the court or on the field or whatever, is like, no, nobody even discusses the vaccine at all. Uh, so absolutely something that, uh, that people want to check out. The other thing, a guy had a question about why he had uh, much less – uh, problems with you know what he thought was an infection versus his wife. Well, I haven't heard you guys talk about vitamin D, and that's something that a number of studies have have shown is absolutely crucial. And somebody else even started talking about the time of the year and the uh, the latitude where there you get into the sunlight. You know, sunlight hits the your bare skin, and vitamin D is produced in the skin. So, so that's something, and they, they even found that out all the way back in, what was it, the nineteen seventeen eighteen 18, whatever, uh, flu outbreak that patients did better when they got them out into the sunlight. Um, so uh, I guess one of the things, somebody mentioned coincidences. Uh, there's, there's some people that say there are no coincidences. Uh, I think... There are some coincidences, but there's there's not this many coincidences. So uh, and then one, I guess the last thing that I'll talk about, just so I don't take up too much time. the I I think it's right that what Trump did uh, in allowing the lockdowns, it did it did hurt Republicans. It did hurt them in the election. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Bill of Rights, if you look at the Constitution, there's nothing in the Constitution that says, well, if people get sick, you know, well, the First Amendment doesn't apply and, and other protections don't apply. All of this was extra constitutional. It was should have never been allowed. Uh, but even so, in that uh, in the 2020 election, you cannot discount the election fraud. And it, it's kind of like Dr. Malhotra, you, you know, somebody mentioned that he was really pro-vax. Then his father got had an event and uh, passed away, I guess. And then he really started looking at the data. And I think that's true for a lot of people. They just haven't gone and looked at all the evidence of the fraud that went on in 2020. And then, you know, I think you can look at Arizona to see that was still going on in 2022. So uh, I'll stop there. And you know, if anybody has any, any comments to add, uh, that would be great
2: um dankins you um you have a speaker as well dankins are you there yeah i'm here um do you have anything any any questions for for anybody justin or jordan or
20: yeah Mm -hmm. i do actually uh so i'm in like corporate america like heavily involved in uh security and compliance from a uh it perspective um so i'm not a biologist i'm not a doctor but i just wanted to like ask a question because like uh, after going through all of these like vaccine mandates and being in fortune 500 land something happened in september of 2021 where like the two fda officials resigned and there was just this entire shift and i work with some of the biggest companies in the world and um you know it was like this taboo feeling that these two FDA officials resigned and yet all of these companies were just doubling down on their mandates. And there is a lot of revenue that is generated inside of the public or the private sector purely backed by public contracts and public revenue. And, do you think at all, or for anyone on this panel, do you think some of that in the private sector for not asking these questions uh, from like leadership perspective is that there was definitely some worry um, that a good portion of that revenue and reliance on those contracts, you know, caused them to just bow and cower um, because you could not be in corporate America and ask these questions. And I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, thoughts on that? Any but a great book
8: that a great book that you can get on this is um, from our good friend Jennifer Say, and uh, she has a, a great book called uh, "Levi's Unbuttoned." Jennifer and I uh, share a, a similar sort of uh, professional background. Uh, I, I didn't make it anywhere near where she was. I was chief marketing officer and chief data officer of a. Pretty good tech company in LA, but she was the head of branding and, and, and groomed to be the, the first female CEO of Levi Strauss up in San Francisco. And her book is, is all about her journey and her husband, Dan, uh, Daniel Kotzen and how, uh, they had, you know, two small kids there in, in San Francisco and that, you know, she was always sort of towing the line on the, the woke politics of these, these corporate, um, uh, endeavors. Uh, and then when it came to, trying to do something that she thought was pretty uh pretty understandable and, and pretty powerful, like get our kids back into school. She was actually absolutely lambasted. The the company did everything they could to silence her. They even tried to buy her off uh give her like kind of a, a bit of a golden parachute if she would just sign an NDA and she refused. So she quit. Levi Strauss wrote this book and is now you know doing documentaries. Jennifer's actually former Olympian. She was the 1985 uh, Olympic, uh, sorry, uh, U.S. gymnastics champion. She would have gone with, uh, Mary Lou Retton to the 86 games, but she broke her femur. This terrible fall that you can go look online YouTube when you're on. No, don't go do that. She hates it when I say that, but, but she's awesome. And, and like that sort of powerful stuff is, is, is very rare. And I know coming like I was in a position where I had, I had, uh, I was living down here with my wife, Jenny. We have, uh, eight kids between us. We have four at home. Five at home at that time and I was doing commuting up to, to LA and that was awful. And so I, I started my consulting business down here. Uh, and, um, I, I don't know that all of you will welcome back into, you know, a C level exec office again because of the, the stances I've taken, the book that I wrote and everything else. And so, but I was lucky because I wasn't in a position to do so. I, I, I know that whenever I've taken a, uh, a role as an executive of a company, my, my Twitter stream gets very boring. And so I hope I don't have to ever go back. Um, but yeah, it's, um, like it, it's like I said before in, in certain industries, it's already baked in, like it's really tough for Hollywood right now to pull itself out of COVID and the testing regime because there are full time employees on every single lot that are doing nothing but testing all day long. And that uh, actors who are called in for voice work or last minute uh, work, they're they're compensated, uh, you know, two hundred three hundred dollars for doing a last minute test and getting that themselves. So everything sort of you know built into those incentives there. And that's actually that's a that's an entire book that I think could be written, which is just the impact of um the 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 lockdowns and the policies. On both, just you know, the absolute supply chain and everything else that happened, chaos wise, but also just on the ethics. Um, In my book, in the I I talk about a couple industries. One of them is really interesting. Is uh, in the on the Vegas Strip when Vegas shut down for almost two months, uh, the engineers of these major properties had to stick around, and we I read a couple interviews and interviewed a couple people myself about how. They would basically walk the halls for weeks on end in Vegas into these abandoned hotels so that they could run the water, flush the loo, tend to the shower. Because if you didn't, it would back up. You'd get Legionnaire's disease and something worse than COVID for most of the people that would be staying there when they'd open back up. So literally like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, they're spending their entire spring of 2020 walking the halls and just going into each room and flushing the toilet because Vegas was built with a certain amount of people that they were anticipating every single night being in there and flushing the toilets and everything. And when that didn't happen, everything started backing up. Um, so the, the just turning the entire world on its ear. Uh, I'll give you one other example, which is really interesting and kind of fun, which is all of those toilet paper runs that you had, right? It, it, it wasn't people panicking and wanting to load up on toilet paper. It was that. People do, if you'll excuse the term, half of their business at their business, right? And the type of supply chain, the type of toilet paper, how it's distributed, how it's bought uh, is very different when you're, you know, putting these big reams loaded onto some stadium stall, right, in a shared bathroom versus getting your soft bear-like cushiony stuff that you get at home. And so all of a sudden half of the 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 paper industry the the toilet paper industry had to scramble and say, oh my gosh, no one's buying the big reams anymore. What do we do? If you want to have a little fun, go Google Charmin Forever. Charmin Forever. When the pandemic was lifted and they didn't have these TP issues anymore, they had to figure out what do we do with all these excess reams (laughs) of toilet paper that we would have sold into an industrial park or a campus. And so Charmin will send you now a full metal stand that will sit right next to your toilet, and they call it Charmin Forever because one roll will last you an entire month. And they're just basically repurposing the industrial TP to try to get rid of it. Marketing guys are great, you know. But yeah, I think the short of it is it's the the ethics that that this is impacted, especially in very very stringent areas like the Bay Area, where. The Apple, uh, I think Apple is still not back at work. Google's still not back at work. All these people are, are still, you know, hugely impacted. Like uh, my dad has been in commercial real estate in the Bay Area for 40 years. He's never seen anything like this. Prices are dropping like a rock because no one's there. I mean, San Francisco lost 10% of its population, and you'll see that all over the place. Where it's, it's just making this huge ethical issue. And then when it came to the mandates, boy, an entire book could be written on that.
0: Okay, name redacted. Um,
10: Did you have a quick question? Hi, yeah, thanks. Um, I just want to say thanks to everybody on here. Like, the information is just, you can never get enough. Um, George was, uh, you know, he had posted that stuff about World Economic Forum, you know, Davos, coming up next week. Um, I was wondering, um, you know, like, you have Bilderbergs that, that meet once a year as well. And, you know, like, this past year, they... Met in D.C. Um, Yeah, the head of the CIA, Mark Zuckerberg, Fauci, you know, and then all these other big, big names, you know, and it just makes you wonder. I mean, Bilderberg Group—they're so so secretive, you know, and they're much smaller than World Economic Forum, obviously. But um, I'm just wondering, you know, why would those people from such different sectors, um, you know, different establishments? Um, what could they possibly need to talk about <laughs> other than censoring us is my point. But as far as world economic forum, I know, um, you know, that doctor Gottlieb, you know, he's a member of the world economic forum. Like I just feel like every time I'm reading another article, I automatically just go to Google. I type W E F and the person's name and either you know, it comes right up or it doesn't. And that's how I determined, all right, he's a bad guy, you know.
0: Um Jordan, do you want to take this
6: one? Yeah, sure. Uh, Victor, was, was, was Victor adding something? I didn't want to cut him off. But, um, yeah, I'm not super well-versed with Bilderberg Group. Um, I, I know that that's a, an organization that's been around for a long time. But, yeah, I... I you know, uh, sometimes it might be unfair just to Google people and see if they have spoken at the World Economic Forum. Uh, I think, like, the context is important. Like, when you saw Donald Trump go to the World Economic Forum and just kind of, like, lay into them. So it's kind of like, why are they there? But I, I think, like, on a base level, it is certainly an indicator that – um people who participate in that kind of thing, if they know about um, the ideological uh, basis of the organization and how truly radical and extremist the World Economic Forum agenda is, and if they choose to to participate in it, then it it definitely says a lot about that individual or that corporation or that government official, um, for sure.
0: And I think one thing that um, a lot of people don't know is that the World Economic Forum, it's not like a membership just because you're listed on their, their site. Some people get added on there, apparently, just because they get nominated as a, a young world leader, young World Economic Forum leader. So there's not like a membership card that some of those people have on the website where they're all part of the Klaus Schwab Club, um, not to not to run defense for Dan Cran. Crenshaw, i'm not i'm not a huge fan of him because of um things that he's done behind the scenes about not supporting military whistleblowers that were trying to sound the alarm about the vaccine So, not a big fan of him for that reason but um he pointed out that his name was on the website but he's not affiliated with them other than them adding his name on there without and picture without his um approval or acceptance of any membership or anything like that that so that's what his rebuttal was i'm not sure of how true that is or how the whole thing works but it does kind of put everything into a different perspective when you look at it that way but um jordan did you want to add on to that
6: yeah for sure um you covered the exact issue i want to talk about and just to add a little to that so The people that are going to Davos this year, I think there's enough information out there, though, that you're either really in one or two camps. You're either ignorant or you're part of the problem. And the people that are there to participate in the system, maybe score some deals, um, they're part of the problem because they... Um, as one of our speakers talked about, one of the issues in corporate m- America is there is kind of just like this compliance with the ruling edicts. And a lot of those edicts are formulated through these actors, these super powerful actors who attend Davos and make their demands upon humanity. And unfortunately, you know, you have these... um Uh, a lot of these corporations like for instance uh elon musk just saw this when they delisted tesla from like the esg index so by doing so a lot of institutional investment couldn't access um, further um, input into you know infusion monetary infusions into tesla so I i think that like it's just like they're trying to set up an incentive structure and corporate America kind of just like goes along with that incentive structure. And there hasn't really been pushback from the opposition, uh, I think, until now. I mean, certainly like in, in Florida, where I live, Governor DeSantis speaks very openly about this, that like we're not going to, um, you know, just uh, comply with these these World Economic Forum policies. And, you know, we're actually going to get rid of that stuff. And I think it just takes, especially on the political side, you need much more bold leadership. Um, but it's very tough in corporate America because all these incentives are aligned to um, respect compliance with the ultimate monetary authorities. And they, of course, have links to, you know, this Davos class.
0: Right. And the ESG policy got taken out by, um, AGs coming forward. I think the first one was West Virginia and they said you, you can't do business in our state if you're going to enforce these outrageous ESG, uh, policies. So they, they went in at the state level and then a bunch uh, several other states followed suit, including Texas eventually. Um, and I think that's really how, they are fighting that and it's so so great to see. I'm just hoping that the state level is also how they kind of go after these pharmaceutical companies and do investigations that way and not have to deal with the long turnaround time at the federal level. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Farm, did you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the question about the Bilderberg group or WEF it's not like the thing is there's so many different groups now, and I mean there kinda always have been and there's always been you know organized efforts by either countries, like individual countries infiltrating other countries right, and like getting into their getting into their psyche and you know using propaganda before war or long before war or during war or or what have you. And so, like, the WEF is just another iteration of kind of, like, that same theme, only <laughs> it's everybody who runs the largest of the large, like, super mega corporate, you know, enterprises and, you know, countries and monetary authorities. And there's also so there's also um, something called the New Economic Forum, which is the NEF, um, which is run by Bloomberg, which is really focused on um, – I mean, they held their meeting in – um, Asia Pacific this year. I think for the, they've been around since about 2018. So, like, we have the WEF, the NEF, and there's all these other groups. And so they're all just sort of, like, you know, they're they're synchronized. But I think there's too many different goals that, you know, someone like Klaus Schwab doesn't really concern himself. I haven't really seen him say, and I might be wrong about this, I just haven't seen him really focus on central bank digital currencies. But that's a great candidate to discuss at the Bloomberg new economic forum since Bloomberg terminals run like basically the entire world of finance. Um, and the guy can just like, you know, if he wants to jack in a central bank digital currency, I mean, that's the guy you would need to do it across many different countries. They work in Asia, they work in, you know, the U S they're dominant and, um, all the people that went there, right. It's like the same faces. A lot of them have overlap with, um, I don't know if you guys remember the story about the vaccine passports that just came up recently. And they were kind of like trying to wiggle that back in through. um, I don't remember if it was the, the world trade organization or something very similar, but basically there, there are other, there's plenty of other groups. And, um, you know, like Lindsay said, if someone has their picture on the site or, you know, they have their name on the site. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean like they're they're super involved or, if someone goes to speak there, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily like involved in, and Trump didn't call them out. But I mean, the reality is, you know, it's sort of, they, they're they not going to like go in there and even behind closed doors, talk about it as if, okay, so how are we going to take over, you know, this area is or whatever, or, like take over the world or, or do anything like that. That's not the approach. The approach is more like, how can we grow our business, you know, and like, they don't care about, they don't, you know, I don't think on an individual level that they care about the sustainability stuff. I think they definitely want to weaponize that so that everybody else who can't afford to pay, you know, exorbitant carbon taxes or whatever, through whatever trickery they're going to try and backdoor um, ESG compliance. All of those things are intertwined and intermeshed at at that level of like the supranational groups. Yeah,
6: if I could just add one more thing. Um, so. Definitely the CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, are going to be a major item in, in Davos this year. They've invited basically every major central banker who's going to attend. In addition to that, they have um, these uh, cryptocurrency companies, specifically those that control the predominant um, uh, U.S. dollar tokens like the executives at Circle, which controls USDC, you know, with uh, their partnership with BlackRock and whatnot. So I think CBDCs will actually be a big focus this year at Davos. And, um, you know, this is one of their big uh, it's actually going to become, I think, one of their big agenda items. According to this schedule that I reviewed, it's going to come up several times and they have major uh, proponents speaking about um, the implementation of CBDCs through central banks, but kind of like borrowing from the technology of these, um, what I think are kind of ignorant uh, forces in this uh, crypto space that have created a technology that kind of makes it easier for them to uh, implement this uh, system uh, that will further enhance their control and surveillance capabilities over the people.
5: So if I, if I make yeah. this comment on this because um I just want to be very clear here that actually the um uh the literature put out by the government is is very clear on exactly what was just said. So there doesn't need to be this sort of search for um, you know, this um, sort of investigatory looking for, you know, what will be on the agendas or anything. And I know that's not what you're saying, Jordan, but I just want people to know because that most people don't know, but there are executive orders out there that explicitly detail what the government's plan is for CBDC, what the government's plan is for regulation of crypto um, and it's the latest one was the responsible advancement of us competitiveness in digital assets. It's an executive order that's very easy to read and I, and I really think everyone should read it, even if you don't care about digital assets or crypto because you should care because it, it outlines in there um, basically they say in order to for the United States to remain competitive in the financial markets um we need to get a hold of this we we need to get um uh uh control of this um essentially that's what it says and how they go about that is to be seen right but um i i want to be very clear that, that that the government has actually been pretty clear about this they are very interested in cbdc's and they have um they are working on an outline to to centralize um and to have regulation over this and according to this latest um executive order they believe it will keep uh america competitive now your opinion on that you know that's that's what I think about that is something entirely different, but I just want to say that the literature is out there. So this is something I think people should really care about, um, because it's going to affect everyone. Thank you.
8: I think you're probably right. I think, look, uh, I've been a big fan of crypto the last couple of years. And if only because I, I love a little hedging bet against, uh, people who waste our dollars and print out um, enormous amounts of money and, uh, and send it to us uh, thinking that it's you know they're, they're buying our love and sending inflation through a, a a ceiling we haven't seen and then the supply chain is now catching up we're going to get a whiplash there all sorts of awful stuff and doing a lot of tension towards uh things in crypto can put some pressure on the government and obviously they're trying their own thing so i i totally anticipate that there'll be some type of digital currency because once they once they can remotely control how you spend your money then you're you're good to go. I everyone remember it, it was a it was one of the first sort of uh viral memes out there. Must've been like late 90s, but it was a fictitious call between a guy and um his uh a pizza parlor. And uh when he was trying to order a pizza and it had like the screen that he was doing it online, he was calling in because he was having problems. And it was because his his social credit score, he was a little bit overweight and he he hadn't paid this and he paid that and they wouldn't let him order the pizza he wanted. And it was kind of a joke of the future, uh, you know, giving up too much information of the government controlling your lives. But it's, it's very real. You know, if they, if you can see it already, uh, if you didn't toe the, the political line of the day, uh, they could cancel your bank card, cancel your bank, uh, and do much more. I hope there's going to be some type of focus in this coming Congress to look at, uh, what I think is hugely egregious. That is, and many of the people, I think, uh, there was one speaker today talked about how they were kicked off of PayPal. And it's like, what, what do you do when a bank drinks you like uh, a Twitter cancellation moment because, uh, you know, of wrong thing, right? It's, um, it's a, a little bit, uh, disconcerting.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's, it's, it's not even just the bank. I mean, it's the central bank. It's not, it's not like PayPal or JP Morgan ending their relationship with you. It's, the federal government having the ability to end your relationship with the greater society at large. I mean, it's basically like if, you know, if Twitter censors me, my account gets deleted, but I can still go to the grocery store and I can still buy gas, you know, and it's not the end of the world. But if the federal reserve decides they want to basically sanction individuals and block them, right? Like if I go out and, and purchase something they don't approve of, um, or like conduct transaction with someone that they don't approve of, they can very easily with, I mean, they can do that now effectively. I mean, they, they, any any of the agencies can, the, cha- the dramatic change is sort of like the wholesale nature of it. Whereas like now, you know, there's sort of these different, there's a different set of processes in place that they have to follow. And they're cha- basically, they're telling us they're changing the processes and they're saying, yeah, you know, we we may not want you to, you know, buy so much fuel oil next year, so we're gonna cap you and you know, if you if we find out that you're using something to barter for that fuel oil, because we're monitoring you by satellite and we're measuring, you know, your your <laughs> carbon dioxide output, well you yeah, we're gonna right. block you from we're gonna block your ability to be paid or spend your money.
8: You know, uh Jack uh Posobiec was here and I started talking Polish to him uh I, I spent uh, two years in Poland uh, as a missionary for the, the LDS church, the Mormon church. Uh, in 1990 to 92, I got there the, the week that Lech Walesa was elected president. So I re- literally caught the, the last two months of communism officially. And um, when, I'm, when I was there, uh, I, I remember an incident that had stuck with me my entire life, which was we were in northern Poland, and uh, it, was, uh, it was during the summer, beautiful area up there on the Baltic Sea. And uh, the uh, the landlady we had was uh, also a member of the, the Mormon church, and she lent us a room that we used. Uh, and, and the bread, you know, over in Europe is beautiful. It's delicious, but it also has no preservatives. So within three days, a loaf of bread turns into a brick. And uh, the weather was very hot. We had forgotten about a loaf of bread that was in a bag behind the door. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my gosh, it's a brick. And we needed something to prop the door open. So we used this loaf of bread that was hard as a rock as sort of a doorstop. Well, our landlady was the nicest person lady in the world. She came down and, uh, she gave us what for. She railed us up and down about that loaf of bread that we were abusing, that we were disrespecting. She says, you have no idea. If we misbehaved, they kept bread from us. This chleb in Polish bread. He said, there is, they would, they would make sure that we knew they controlled the bread on us. I tell you, I never disrespected another piece of bread uh during my time there in Poland because you had such respect for what they went through. And yeah, you know, cancellation off of Twitter. I, I I've been kicked off of Facebook, I've been kicked off of Twitter, I've got the lawsuits and everything else there, but I can't I I can't imagine when the government um controls if you get to feed your family that week. I'll never forget that. Those are very real possibilities.
5: The other final thing I just want to say about about this stuff, because the technology was mentioned, you know, at, at one point, um, uh, you know, and I, I was guilty of this. And I said, I'm not a tech person. I will hire a tech person to deal with my tech stuff. But this is um, the blockchain will actually revolutionize how we do business how we communicate and how we live and i think for that reason it's really important that everyone um starts now to get a grasp of an understanding of this because what what the blockchain does is it records transactions now you may think you may never be involved in crypto financially that's fine but did you know that a transaction is simply an event taking place meaning what What's a non-financial transaction? Well, it could be you getting vaccinated. Okay. Do you care about that? So that, that is, if you don't, if you care about what you do and your activities being controlled or monitored, you should learn about this stuff because this is, it's, we're no longer in a, in a sort of age where, oh, that doesn't affect me because I'm a writer or this, that, and the other, or I'm a journalist. No transactions don't have to involve money anything that happens any event between two parties is a transaction you going to see your doctor you going to the emergency room you filling your car up with gas that can be a transaction so I really encourage people to sort of have an open mind and learn about this stuff because more and more it's going to be affecting um, people's lives thank you
6: yeah, I'm not so much um, in agreement with that. I think that the fundamental purpose of a blockchain is to facilitate the Bitcoin network and that it has actually been completely abused by corporations that have tried to turn it into something it's not. In fact, you had all of these massive companies um, in the first, I think, round of international Bitcoin hype. They set up all of these blockchain teams and they tried to innovate on their own blockchains. And I think what they found was actually that the blockchain really just, or the time chain, it really just belongs to Bitcoin. And it's it's really just a public ledger for transactions um, that's important to the Bitcoin network. But I don't think that this, um, I, I think what it has shown when you have like companies like IBM, and others, they've shut down their blockchain teams. Or there's like one guy. I mean, to me, it's just it's just marketing buzzwords. Like, um, so you know, I, I respect your opinion, but uh, I, I have to disagree. I I think that the blockchain is basically the idea that came before the metaverse, and now the metaverse is the big uh, the big item that everyone's talking about. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Bitcoiner for for a reason. And I I think that like a lot of these crypto assets and whatnot are basically um, it's just it's just one scamming enterprise on top of another. And, and, you know, that's why it's so important to have, you know, to I I think for people to recognize the scale at which we're basically being uh, defrauded in this in this matrix system is that you know, they're throwing all of these buzzwords at us and like, what does it really mean? What is a blockchain? I, I don't, I, I just have, I have a fundamental disagreement on this issue. And I, and I think that crypto, uh, by and large, detached from Bitcoin is perhaps um, another layer on top of what we saw um, with all of these Silicon Valley fraudsters um, and the dot com era or, or beyond that. Where they really were just um, selling us vaporware, and and you know I, I've I've been through this uh, process. I, I've been in, uh, you know, I was in, in initially a crypto guy, but but I think it, it's it's important to really um, dig deep and research this stuff because like I, I just I, I've come to the conclusion that there's really nothing there out, outside of Bitcoin, and uh, I'm I'm happy to you know engage in discussions with people offline, but uh, I, I keep coming back to that like there's just really Uh, No utility for this stuff. It's just really just Silicon Valley pump and dump nonsense. And uh, as, you know, so many people were caught up in this FTX stuff because of that. It was just this massive uh, misinformation campaign. It's just it's just Ponzi's and scams through and through. And 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 I hope that people come to recognize that and, and reject it. And a lot of people, I think, in, in over the course of the last year have learned a really hard lesson when their when dog monkey token has gone down 99% because it's just like a worthless pump and dump that's, that a few people in, uh, you know, a few uh, anonymous developers or, or Silicon Valley uh, VCs worth the $20 billion decided to pump. Like, they're just, to me, it's just all marketing scams. I, I could rant about this stuff all day, but... Um, I'm like, I'm so sick of the crypto stuff because it has just wrecked so many people. It has ruined so many lives. These people from Alex Mashinsky to Sam Bankman-Fried to Do Kwan to these Silicon Valley uh, uh, venture pythons. It's just there's a reason why they're all scammers um, and they just have no ethics, no morals. and, And I'll leave it at that.
5: Well, just one. so I'll just say something to that. um, Jordan, you said it yourself. You don't know. And I'll agree with you. You don't know. And let me just say one thing. Um, I don't have an agenda like you seem to. I'm not pro-crypto and I'm not anti-anything. But I will tell you that the technology behind Bitcoin, okay, is very similar to the technology behind Ethereum. And those two... Components. Those two items are very different, and if you don't understand the importance of supply chain and traceability, traceability of medications, traceability of metals, traceability of 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 components that make up any item, okay? For a circular economy, we talk about this wanting to recycle. Nothing. Nobody. Nobody knows what happens when an item is sold after it leaves their store. The blockchain is Of going course, to... they do. Please don't interrupt me. The blockchain will allow an actual circular economy where people can return those items, and they can be recycled or they can dump them. Either way, that manufacturer will know what happened. People can trace. So, de- decentralized science. Which you're also throwing out the window would have prevented a lot of these problems that we're having with COVID. It is right now science peer review is very centralized. It's very gate kept. So I'm sorry that you don't understand blockchain. I'm sorry you don't understand the technology and you, you group everybody, um, in as scammers, but I I would refer you to my Substack actually because you have a lot to learn. And um, before um, and don't interrupt. I know you're dying to interrupt, but don't. Uh, and and before throwing away an, an entire industry, I would learn about it because you know the, some of the things that you said just are are quite comical. And um, um, what the blockchain can do, what smart contracts can do for open peer review can change the way science has been conducted and is conducted going forward where people can't fake stuff where people can't elect to give who they favor grant money this is um beyond your scope of understanding at the moment and i encourage you to to become more knowledgeable about the matter thank you
6: thanks i'll i'll try my best to uh to read Satoshi's uh, white paper over and over again and find out if I know about this blockchain thing. But it, it's, um, I think it's just a fundamental disagreement. Satoshi's just...
5: about Bitcoin. That won't help you. Your understanding what? is very elementary. You, what you just okay, said keeps my point, Jordan. Hold on
6: a second. No, it doesn't. But, yes, it does. So, does Amazon.com, you think they got their logistics in order? Hey, right? I, I they're, they're pretty say, good. They're pretty good at logistics. So I, I just does Amazon I, use, does Amazon use a, a blockchain? Do, do they need a blockchain?
2: Hold on. Let me, let me, let me take a step back here. So I kind of understand this at a very high level. Um, you know, I haven't worked at any blockchain companies really or anything like that, but I'm very familiar with the underlying use of the technology. And my perspective on this is that, Again, like I kind of discussed it a little bit before, right? Take the regulatory agency and invert the purpose, right? Like the regulatory oversight agency is supposed to kind of oversee something and be a a net positive, right? Take this technology and apply it to like how something can be messed up, right? So like um, they don't want you to um, – you have central bank digital currency implemented, right? And they decide that they don't want you to purchase more than, you know, I'm going to use a very simple example here, more than 100 gallons of oil per winter season, right? Um, for home heating oil for your house. Um, if they use a blockchain and sort of, or whatever underlying technology, and make it, you know, under this like false sense of transparency, right? Like where there's stakeholder capitalism, and there's ESG, and we need to make this public so that everyone could kind of see it. It's sort of like inverts part because a huge part of it is like, they want to establish a false sense of transparency. And the way to do that is by using a, you know, searchable public ledger and whether it's blockchain based or whether it's just some stupid company that, you know, they create that, you know, sits at the center of all of the different oil and gas companies and, and what they're providing, you know, like their actual supply chain and whether it's like, a consumer electronics or whatever it is basically it's just taking the principles which are here are the raw materials right they came from x country and they kind of track that through all the way to completion and then what you have at the end is we know everything that you've bought where it originated from who you got it from you know what was secondhand um and that also ties into like internet of things and all these other you know like they can do it with a washing machine, so they know if you, you know, they know if you buy a new washing. The system ge- generally can already keep those things in sync, but the technology is not all the way advanced yet to where they can do this, like, <clears throat> at a wholesale level of tracking and record-keeping and everything. And there's all these, like, second-hand markets that exist now, and whether that's, like, through eBay or through Facebook Marketplace, and there's a hand-to-hand transaction completed, right?, if you standardize all of that on, I don't want to call it blockchain. I don't want to use a name for it. Whatever it is, is it's an inverted sort of like half transparent system that like, you know, obviously the elite are not captive to because they have enough money to offset. Like I said before, their carbon emissions or their natural resource, you know, human living requirements type of thing. If they can bypass that for themselves. And if like, you know, if you have enough money, you can bypass that someone, Um, recently asked me how much money would it take to be considered elite in the new elite class? And I, you know, I don't, I couldn't really give them an answer because I don't think there's any hard limit, but like certainly you need X number of dollars in order to simply, you know, live your life. And if there are things like a dramatic rise in the price of oil, right. And that's like, you can only, you know, you really have to like keep your house at 60 or 55 or whatever for a winter season, because, um, otherwise, you'll get canned from the, you know, from the matrix system or, or, you know, whatever it is. Basically, it's like the inversion, whether they ultimately use blockchain or they use, you know, before blockchain, it was um, no SQL databases like MongoDB. They had like all these different tools and they've evolved over a pretty long period of time. Um, and I can't even remember, actually, if Mongo predates. um, um blockchain and and the original Bitcoin network, but ultimately it doesn't really matter. Like more or less what the system is doing is it's moving towards what I'm trying to describe. It's kind of hard to describe, but like an open, a a fake open ended tracking grid for all the stuff that we kind of take for granted right now. And a hundred percent, the companies are on board with this and yeah, they may have laid off all of their, all of their staff, but they really only have to do a little bit more to get to the next level, which is sort of confined to the hedge fund space right now, which is these greater systems of tracking and control. So like somebody, for example, um, probably already knows that you performed a cash hand-to-hand transaction with you know an individual, but to standardize all that is going to take a lot more.
6: Yeah so uh, I really appreciate you all um it, it's late on the east coast but just one uh 30 seconds of closing commentary um if the blockchain is
5: you're not used to talk about it you're you don't know anything about it i'm sorry Thanks. I'll,
6: can, I'll can vouch for second? Jordan he Thank knows you. quite a
5: lot
8: about <laughs> this but i i understand that there's yeah. this is a contentious subject go ahead jordan <laughs>
6: No, I appreciate everyone, even though I disagree with you, some of you. Um, the blockchain is basically a timestamp for the Bitcoin network, and that's really it. it it's it's basically in corporate America. It, it's it's a marketing scam. Um, if there was a use Justin, for blockchain, that's not
5: accurate information. That's just not true. Oh
6: my god, it's Can't, not factual. Hold, I'm leaving, and then you can have your you can rant for forty minutes. Um, so. So basically, the, you know, if there was a use for an, a blockchain in corporate America, certainly by now, um, you know, over a decade, much more than a decade after the the discovery of Bitcoin, uh, they would have figured out a use for a blockchain in Walmart and Amazon and eBay. There, There is no use for a blockchain except it's a, it's a public ledger to timestamp transactions. And that's really it. It's just... Um, basically buzzwords and bumper stickers and, and marketing scams in, in the corporate world it, it, it's essential to bitcoin but but that's really it and you know thanks so much uh texas and farm and justin for having me on uh yeah i wish you guys all the best and so much appreciate it but it's twelve thirty on the east coast gotta go love you all cheers jordan see you later <laughs> see
8: you later man yeah, Texas, I might have to sign off here, too, just to uh, get 11.30 yeah,
0: in. Yeah, it's 11.30 where I am or about to be. So. Great
8: discussion, though. we got some lots of, I mean, there was such a range of different people on this thing. It was great. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I didn't expect to cover so many things on the spectrum of, of topics, but um, definitely it was informative. Let's do it again. <laughs> some... We have, we have yeah, some good, absolutely.
8: good fodder here.
0: Absolutely. Well, I hope everyone has a good night, and we will schedule another one of these uh, again soon.
2: Thanks all everybody. <laughs>